Dr. No, big, from Russia with love, bigger, Goldfinger, even bigger. Now, here comes the biggest Bond of all, Thunderball. Now, James Bond does it. Everywhere. Look up. Look down. Look out. Here comes the biggest bond of all. Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Salzman present Sean Connery in Thunderball. Produced by Kevin McClory. Panavision. Technicolor. A United Artists release. Thunderball. Saturday. Um, Man. So much has happened since we've last been together. It feels like it's been a really long time. And it really has. And that's only because we posted early. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, we've had a slew of people who've passed away. We've had uh, a blizzard affect us. We've been snowbound. <laughs> we up, it was like John Carpenter's the thing. Yeah, we were up in the mountains, and one of us wasn't who we thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you, uh, you tied me to a couch. And then, like I said, I was real, who I said I was, and then I said, I'm not going to spend this whole fucking winter tied a, uh, to this couch. I bought a, I, I don't know, somewhere online I found a, uh, there was some kind of ad for something. You know, it's just like somehow I came across this thing, so I went to the link. I clicked and like, I went to it. Yeah. And it's a, uh, now it's probably too late to, for anybody to actually get one, but. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so fuck you. Yeah. Uh, it was a John Carpenter's The Thing Christmas ornament. What? And it was the dish, the blood sample dish. The Petri dish? Like? Yeah, the Petri dish with, like, Palmer oh, on, wow. a, on, tape, on a piece of tape. And it's, like, filled with, like, red resin, so it looks like blood in a hole so you can stick, like, and it gives you, like, a little wire, like a copper wire I'd be so to stick in there. Th- and then it's, like, sticking out of it is the Palmer sculpted like palmer head of like when he's turning into the thing it's all inv- how and big is, is it life size i mean like a life <laughs> no, i mean like not, it's life size no 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 not not, not like four it's like three feet <laughs> not the palmer but i'm saying the petri, the petri dish, dish is, is, yeah. is, is one you know one. when he puts it in, it jumps yeah, up yeah, yeah. so it's like it's jumping up except for on one side it's the palmer face and then but then if you f- you turn it around backwards which is a shame because you can't see palmer anymore yeah. but on the back side it's got like that misshapen face in two halves that they I don't, like they find oh yeah yeah yeah, like on, yeah it's like we're separated yeah, yeah yeah and it's like hand it's like it's what is like one of 20 or something they're like, like handmade did you get one i did get one well then yeah. then you need to put a, a link or you need to put it up on the on the, the right. website i have to take a picture you know, <laughs> and the next year we're going to stage our christmas album and we're going to have you on the cover putting it, it on it the christmas fucking tree awesome and i was like if i, I were you i would have got a christmas tree know, just to like, put that I, on yeah i was like what am i going to do with this but it's pretty cool like if anybody needs to have a john carpenter christmas ornament you do it's me yeah a palmer christmas <laughs> ornament for christ's sakes that's great but uh, uh you know but it's it's yeah, it's just been a tough couple of weeks it and, has uh, we lost Bowie, and what was so weird was that we did the podcast that morning. Literally, 
just like less than 24 hours before it broke that he I know. died. And then I went and, uh, you know, we found out about it. We, we posted it up the next day, and then I've been listening to that last album, Black Star, and it's just like, I don't know if there's people who know this huge, like, there's all this stuff on it, what he meant on the album, and it's just, it's mind-blowing, it's amazing, and then you read up about the occult and all this stuff, and I... I read a lot more than I knew about Bowie since the last cast, and it's just, it's all amazing. It's all like, yeah. it's, it's all planned. It's just like was, so crazy. Uh, and the videos, the, 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 just, there's just all kinds of people out there like, he was see, f- this means that, and that means this. It's he like, was a fascinating guy. I watched The Hunger. Yeah. Which, uh, that movie has so much potential. Yeah. Um, the first half of that movie is so great. It's like, it just is like, I don't know. It's just like, it's building up to something, yeah. and then it just doesn't deliver on that. It's like, it's, dealing with it's building up to like what's going to be an awesome plot and then unfortunately it just never really follows through i don't know if it has to do with the book that it's based on or but stylistically what a what a like visually stunning movie that movie we're just not talking about susan sarandon's boobs (laughs) (laughs) those are are visually (laughs) stunning in any any light or any any and it take they are. Yeah, uh, the Scots are always pretty good, Ridley or Tony, what they do. You know, yeah. they have a lot of visual styles. And then we also, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Oh, my gosh. I love myself some Alan Rickman. Now, I saw, since since we're talking about Alan Rickman, and who knows when we'll get to Die Hard in our series of movies. If that's even the first Alan Rickman movie we do. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to see a screening of Die Hard. Oh, I remember this now. 35 millimeter print at BAM, yeah. uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music. And... Uh, Rickman so, was there, right? So Rickman was there because he was doing a play for BAM. So, like, um, <laughs> so he came and he introduced the movie. Yeah. And there was people there with like their box, like their diehard box set. Their VHS. And, stuff. and some guy raises his hands and like total. And I'm not putting him down because I'm just like, I'm, I'm a geek nerd. I like, I, you know, card carrying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm proud of it. But he asked the question. He said, when you're, when you're in the scene and you shoot out the glass, oh, you want, and then he's running around to shoot and you tell the guy. She's in Finston. Yeah. Shoot. It's a glass. He says, why do you say it twice? Why do you tell him it in German? And then you say it in English. Like, is it because that he starts like, pont- this guy, kid starts like pontificating on like. His theory of. Why? And Alan Rickman was just like, if I did it that way, it's probably because it was in the script. <laughs> So this kid had this big theory, and he's like, I don't know. Yeah, he was like really looking for some kind of like... You make it sound like he's very much like his Galaxy Quest character. <laughs> he was, it wasn't being like an asshole about it, but he was just like, I'd pro- I really, it was like, he's like, it was my first feature, I really probably just did it like it was in the script. He was like 42 at the time. It was probably written that way. Uh, if that's, is, that, is my math good? Yeah, I think he's 42 in that, in that role. He's so good in that movie. Oh, that I mean, he's great in everything. He's but a he defined, great actor. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was, you know. I, my favorite part is when he's like pretending to be just like. Oh, Clay. <laughs> Bill Clay. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's amazing in that. I mean, he defined a generation of bad guys. I mean, you know, everybody owes a debt of gratitude afterward who played a bad we, guy taking I, something hostage. Yeah, well, we did. Uh, maybe at some point we'll put up the side cast that we did about action movies, eighties action movies. And we talked about like the diehard effect. Yeah. yeah. Diehard <laughs> on a plane, diehard on a like train. Diehard die somewhere. But cliffhanger, diehard on a mountain. Diehard on a boat, diehard on a bus. Diehard on the best, ring. I think. Oh yeah, I think so too. And it still I mean, holds and up. You, and you got great, you've got great bad guys in all those. Oh all, yeah. You know, you got everybody from Dennis Hopper and David Trousset. Oh, you're saying in all the, all the other yeah, variations. Yeah, like all those yeah. other, 
like Virgil, that white guy John from Lithgow. from uh, Pastor Fifty Seven, Lithgow, uh, Powers Booth, Tom Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. But Rickman, he was great. Um, what did he did he say anything else? Did, did you, did I you don't learn anything? Remember anything yeah. else? I mean, he talked. He seemed perfectly nice. He was certainly yeah. He didn't seem like he was like you know. Uh, being made to do it, like yeah. he seemed like he was happy to introduce it, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think it was a complete surprise. I talked to people I know who's knows people who were friends with him, and they they went out to dinner, I guess, in the late fall. They were perfectly, he was perfectly fine. So I guess it really it was almost like Bowie, where he didn't really tell anybody till the end. Yeah, you know, which is really sad. Course, and Galaxy Quest is one of my personal. Favorites. You love Galaxy Quest, you know. And women love Love Actually, Christmas movie. Um, I love Quickly Down Under and Rasputin. A lot of people don't know Rasputin, but we got some love on the <laughs> podcast site. People, some people are like, this is amazing. I've seen this because he won. He won a. Um, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say a Grammy. He won a uh, Globe. It was a musical. And yeah. He won a Grammy for the Rasputin. Uh, he won a Golden Globe Best Actor for playing Rasputin. And Ian McKellen's in a whole big cast. Pre El McK- Ian McKellen becoming famous, like you know, yeah, he shows yeah. up in Last Action Hero <laughs> as Death. So, but we digress. Um, but on a happier note, it's really. Uh, welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We're Saturday Night Pigs in Space. It's it's 2016 and we're here uh, kicking it off. Well, we kicked it off last week. We, kicked we, we it opened off. the season with Labyrinth. We've kicked it off with Rocky. Yes, Rocky was on the Which I was on the border. It was like epic. Yeah, and then we, and then then we Labyrinth was pretty epic too. Yeah, Labyrinth. We're was getting big. a little. We're getting along. We're getting longer than these movies sometimes. <laughs> we clocked in at like. Forty minutes over Labyrinth yeah. running time. We're like freaking like long play. You have to turn the record over. There's four <laughs> records that come, you know. But then it's all confusing. It's like side one, side three, side two, side four, and it's like where you know you got to follow it. Uh, but I've been excited. This is really exciting to do this cast because this is this is some great material right It'll now. It'll be interesting to see if anybody cares about this one. I think obviously some people will, but I think it's certainly it's weighing the weeds. It's a little bit in the weeds for for us for what we typically do. Outside. Correct. Um, it's not for us. It's not. <laughs> no, for us, it's not at all. <laughs> for us, it's right on point. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> we we kind of developed this together. This 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 the, like most things in life, we came to age together, uh, and we yeah we developed this fascination together. But it it it's all kind of we're, we're trying to have it like uh, correlate with um, X Files coming out. Yeah, X Files just premiered. Yeah, this past weekend. Yeah, so we figured, hmm, we got the X Files coming back on. Let's do something X Files related. Yeah, and what not something better to do. And we were like, maybe we should do the first X Files movie mm-hmm. or the second X Files movie. Yeah, and then we we're like, no, let's do the original X Files. Yeah, we'll go movie. way down the alley. We're gonna go. We're gonna take it from what Chris Carter, Chris Carter actually said. I mean, he's been saying this for years that this is the direct inspiration for the X Files. What we're doing tonight, and and this also is hopefully that gonna hit people. To this as well, because if you haven't seen this, what you should be ashamed of yourselves, because this is some good stuff. Night Stalker, yes. the Night Stalker, the Night Stalker from Not 1972 with Kolshak, the Night Stalker. Yeah, which is the same thing. <laughs> but we're, we're almost mincing words here. Well, you know what it is is for the people that there was a there was a TV show in 74, 75 called Kolshak, the Night Stalker, and it. I feel like in in the last ten years, it's kind of built like some kind of cult popularity like it, they started being aired on yeah different people sci-fi different and channels and, and sci-fi maybe chiller or something yeah. like that they started getting uh airings but before that show before that that show was the direct result of 
two tele- TV movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, they still have TV movies, but back in the day, pre-cable, pre-like pre 100 and 300 channels, yeah. you had like seven channels tops. Yeah. Max. Yeah. <laughs> Three major, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then you had some miscellaneous. You had like maybe a PBS. Yeah. And then you had some, uh, maybe like a, some UHF channels. Yeah, maybe a public access. Some local, like, you know. Spanguli guy you know, on some <laughs> thing. But so you, so to put it into some sort of uh, weird context, people, you know, didn't have, they couldn't go and fuck off and find, you know, tractor pulling or whatever. They were kind of forced to watch whatever the hell yeah, they wanted to watch. you watched what was on. Yeah. And um, at the time, TV movies were huge. And then this movie premiered as a TV movie. On TV a, movies were big. I mean, they still make TV movies. But, yeah. And I remember when we were in college, there was like a big push for TV movies. That's where we saw like the TNT started doing like, they had like the Lincoln assassination one, which yeah. was pretty decent. Yeah, with with um, Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen. As an Abe Lincoln. And uh, the guy that plays, what's his name? Rob Morrow, who plays uh, Fleischman on Northern Exposure. Yeah. Uh, they had the Houdini one, yeah, which was decent. A couple years later, USA I think did a did a Vlad the Impaler one. Yeah. So TV, it's not like TV movies don't exist anymore. But back in the day, and even when I was growing up into like the nineties, you know, a Sunday night TV movie or Disney ones was I mean, like that, well, you first you had the Disney, which we've talked. Yeah, we talked. If you go, yeah, go check out the Flight of the Navigator podcast. But that was a huge growing but up. But even Sunday night just movies, like uh, ABC. They would you know, like play the stuff. Jack the Ripper double feature uh, miniseries, Michael Caine one, Michael Caine, yeah. and then as a direct right after that, there was a a Michael Caine, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, yeah, that I remember back when it aired. And I you're you're talking it. about um, TNT movies. Remember there was like a mid early '90s Frankenstein one with uh, Randy Quaid as the monster. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and then you have like I remember it, one of the pinnacle movies that scared the living shit out of me was a David Hasselhoff early '80s night Jack the Ripper movie, which I forget the name of at the moment. But it's like they yeah. brought the London Bridge in real life. They brought the London Bridge, some bridge. They disassembled it stone for stone, brought it to like Arizona and reassembled it, and with it became came the spirit of Jack the Ripper. And like David Hasselhoff's like a security guard, <laughs> you know. And as pre Michael Knight, or it might be even to the you know this is like him trying to cash out on Michael Knight, the Michael Knight craze. But so, but there was also, and I think what's funny about this movie is that the time this aired, Night, the Night Stalker, oh. this movie aired, which is right around this time. There's like an anniversary. Yeah, January 11th, 1972. 1972, and when it aired, it became the most watched television movie to date. Yeah, I mean it was freaking huge. It came out. It was on a Tuesday night, 8:30. It was bookended by the Mod Squad, which was huge at the time, and Marcus Welby, MD, which I have a huge affinity for. And it was on ABC. ABC was uh, rated number three that year, so it wasn't really doing well in the ratings. But Marcus Welby, the year before in 71, was the highest rated show of, of, of that year. So they really didn't have any expectation for this. They're just like, hey, we're going to air a movie. You know, We're going to see what's going to happen. And it aired, they did some promos, which I think were really clever and cute. And then it aired, and this thing was like freaking huge. I mean, we can get to later how big it was, but it yeah. was just, it was, everybody was like, it, it caught the country by storm. Yeah, for some reason, everybody watched it. And, and it reminds me of when we were little, like 90s, there was a television movie called Viper. Mm. And it was a lot. About the car. It was very much like a, the Dodge like a Knight Rider type thing, although I don't think the car talked, but it was like he had a Dodge Viper yeah. that he hit a button and like it would get armored. It was all like shit. And it was like a guy driving around. Shitty computerization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> driving around in a Dodge Viper. Well, because when that Viper that, came out, that thing was so 
for well the car yeah, yeah it was the... like people were, i remember seeing like i went to like a new york event when i was little and it was there and it's like oh my god yeah, look, the so, Dodge so Viper that... was crazy like and, and that was a, time that begot a show so or the movie. somebody's like let's do a television movie and i don't think it was ever meant to be like a pilot or maybe it was but it was a two-hour sunday night movie and it became the highest rated television movie of all time beating out cold <laughs> You know, and so they're like, "Holy shit!" And it was one of those things. Like, who would have thought? Yeah. Like, maybe order a series. There was like, it was a just a perfect storm of events. People would just happen to turn on that channel and watch it, and then they invented. Then they came out with, like a year later with like a Viper television show, yeah. which I don't think re- lasted very long. No, at all. People were like, "It's like, the, the man- <laughs> remember the show Mantis?" We're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> yeah, I, do. I was just thinking of Mantis because I was watching. A little quick little trip down memory lane. I was watching one of my particular favorite movies, Midnight Run. Okay. With Robert De Niro and uh, Charles Grodin. And in the 90s, we're sticking in the 90s right now in television movies. It's all linked here. Yeah. Um, Jumping all around the eras. (laughs) Renaissance Pictures, uh, Sam Raimi's company, had a deal with syndication deal. Where they would do weekend afternoon movies, Sunday afternoon movies, and they were they were being billed as like the action pack, like the Sunday afternoon action pack. Yeah, and that's where Kevin Sorbo, Hercules came from. Okay, is they did a couple of those with Kevin Sorbo's Hercules and Tony Quinn as Zeus, and that was part of the series. That was the one that was like gained the most popularity and then became a series. They did Vanishing Sun, which was like these Asian brothers, these Chinese brothers that come to America from China and searches like something. And then it's like, they kung fu the crap out of everybody. Uh, we don't want any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> then it's, uh, you know. What's her gay heart? Uh, forget her name. She was in it. She used to be on the Nagaziba commercials when we were little or, uh, Rebecca gay heart. Okay. She was like the love interest in it. And one of the other things, um, there was like some time one, which was a lot like quantum leap where this guy, was a time traveler and he would like he was like a time cop type thing not to which <laughs> which Sam Raimi also produced Time Cop the Van Damme movie but it was like and he had like a hologram that would talk to him it was very much a quantum leap ripoff <laughs> I can't remember the instead name instead of Al it was like <laughs> it was this, Albert. this British woman like who was proper with like a bun that sounds vaguely familiar yeah yeah his name was something Lambert in the show uh, Chris ten, Chris Lambert <laughs> uh, anyway so that was one of them and Mantis, I don't know if Mantis was one of them, but Raimi ended up producing Mantis. That's why it made me think of this, because I was explaining to somebody that Midnight Run, there was an action-packed series of movies called Another Midnight Run, starring Christopher McDonald, who played, like, Shooter McGavin. Yeah. Who's in Dutch, which we talked about at Thanksgiving. And he (laughs) plays, what, De Niro's character? I don't know if, I can't remember if he's playing Jack Walsh, the character, or if it's just, like, he's a bounty hunter. Oh, like on on another midnight, another midnight run. on midnight runs, or if he's actually playing Jack Walsh, yeah. But so, TV movies always been like this wacky thing. Those happen to be like afternoon movies. That and they were got some TV shows like like Kevin Sorb, like the Hercules, and yeah, they were huge. And look at they're kind of having a renaissance now. With a couple years ago, the sci-fi with the Sharknado. I mean, those were TV movies, and those yeah. were freaking huge to the point where they, I think that they put them in the theater. A Sharknado, I think, or two? yeah, I think they. You know, it had some screenings. So TV movies have always been a big thing. And then um, going back to to Night Stalker, what we're going to talk about today, uh, that was a huge thing for them. And it was and and it it did so well. And it just astounded people. And at the time, a TV movie they called Movie of the Week was like a really, really big hot commodity. And um, I don't know. I 
personally love this freaking movie. And I, I this mean, movie is great. You know, the uh, hit, little history about this movie on DVD, kind yeah. of like I think how you and I probably discovered it for the first time was. God, I think it was Anchor Bay originally released. If I don't, if I remember correctly, Anchor Bay was a company, is a company that still releases stuff. But circa like late nineties, especially ninety seven, ninety eight, when Dion and I met, like Anchor Bay was doing the Lord's work. Yeah, they were. They're really put, they're remastering <laughs> stuff widescreen. And we're still talking about VHS. Yeah. You know, they're releasing fucking every. Like not every, but so many great horror movies. Zombie. Yeah, that's how we watch Zombie for the first time. And the first, how, what are the chances that the first time we would get to watch a movie like Zombie, it would be like pristine white? It's, sh- it's not a shitty eighties VHS. Yeah, like Letterbox. Yeah, um, Maniac. Because at that time, Bill Lustig, who directed Maniac, was kind of running uh, that aspect of the of Anchor Bay. Uh, he's gone on to do under a blue Blue Underground is his own company. Martin. Uh, so many great tons movies. and dead tons ringers. They were yeah. doing so many great things. So moving up a couple of years, then DVD comes out. DVD starts to become like the new uh, home video yeah. format, and they release. I believe. I think it's. I do think it's Anchor Bay, but they release a double feature. Yeah, one side's Night Stalker, and the other side's Night Strangler, which it's is Night the Strangler, TV which is sequel. like the nineteen seventy three three. Yeah, sequel. Sequel. Because the first one did so well, they're like, let's do another yeah, one. Yeah, they ordered another one. We'll do another movie. And then it was so just they did as something good. called The Night Strangler. And then they were going to do like another movie or yeah, two. Yeah, third movie. And then, they, and then said, they decided to just make it a series. Make it a series. And they did uh, one series, 20 episode series. And then we can talk about where that series went then. But in a nutshell, what would you say? I mean, we're saying it's kind of like the f- it's the forerunner of uh, X Files. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's you have this. This great character, Carl Kolchak, who is a no-nonsense reporter who basically is a skeptic, and he gets roped in, for this particular movie, he gets roped into a situation where it all points to the supernatural or the fantastic, and he doesn't believe it at first, but all the evidence points that way, and then he kind of, you know, because of the evidence, he kind of is convinced, and he has to try to convince the city yeah. of, of Las Vegas, the, the, the officials, that, yes, this is really happening. So, I mean, that becomes like the show is like this, uh, you know, Carl Kolchak, INS. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a reporter who ends up investigating all these things that end up becoming like paranormal. Yeah, these weird kind of cases, be it like, you know, monsters or ghosts or, uh, you know, like plasma fields, zombies, or... vampires. And uh, it's all... You know, you can. They were paving new ground at the time. This was like something where you know people at the time you weren't really seeing this too much. Yeah, I mean, you go, you flash forward like ten, fifteen years. You got, you then have things like Friday the Thirteenth, the series. Yeah, and then you know, a couple years after that, X Files. But uh, at the time, I I can't think of. I mean, you had like Night Gallery. Yeah, yeah, Twilight. Yeah, Rod Rod Serling was doing stuff, and then a guy who was connected to this movie, Dan Curtis, the producer, was doing. Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. Which, and that was kind of a catalyst to how Which this, is a soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it, and that's even a really weird story in itself where this guy, uh, producer Dan Curtis, uh, got, got a hit show uh, doing a golf show. He pitched a golf tournament show. It worked. Did for 10 years. He got a name. And then he pitched a, a, a period soap opera. They did it. Uh, it takes place up in Maine. No one really cared. It was kind of getting shitty ratings. And then they were going to cancel it. And then one of his kids was like, why don't you just... 
make it scary, you know? And the, he was like, oh, that's a good idea. So they, they, they added, like, I think a vampire, or they added yeah. a monster, and then the ratings went through the roof, and then they just, the wackier it got, the more people watched, and it became It's a hit. brilliant idea, because, yeah. you know, growing up, like, watching, like, soap operas with my mom on TV or whatever, you know, to then think, and then they would show like Dark Shadows like at like seven o'clock yeah. in a rerun. You know, when we were growing up, depending on whatever your syndicated like UHF channel was. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd watch that, and it was like to think of like, imagine like what a soap opera is, like what it's like, you know, like General Hospital or any of these, and think about like, okay, now what if you took a soap opera. And you had one of the main characters be a, a vampire. Yeah, and a very and he's like a reluctant vampire too. He's very like a tortured, conflicted vampire, and he has yeah. to deal with all these other things. Uh, Dark Shadows ran from '66 to '71, and it was got huge ratings at the time. And it was one of these shows where they really didn't have a lot of time, so they would just they you know they get the script that day, much like the format you, that they had for soap operas, and they just shoot it, and then they just try to get it done as quick as they can. And uh, they they try keep their fingers crossed that they wouldn't make a mistake during the show because a lot of times they didn't have the time they would just roll right through it if they made mistakes yeah, or yeah. messed There's up. Some funny one of, another favorite movie of mine, Tootsie. Yeah, with uh, Dustin Hoffman and um, Jessica Lange and Bill Murray and blah blah blah. But they they, they that that's just that's a movie that. Re- revolves around a, the making of a soap opera and there's like one show there's like one instance where somebody spilled like soda all over the tape so they have to do it live yeah and uh the guy who punky <laughs> oh punky brewster <laughs> the guy who plays the guy the guy from punky brewster and police academy he's like one of the stars of this he's like the guy that's been on the soap opera for like ever I and mean, he always gets so uptight about doing it live that's but cool. the thing, like that's what it like. Soap, some soap operas were done live. I mean, they did that or up until that, or that fast. And, I mean, to give people a little history of soaps, they, that was only up until five or six, seven years ago at the most. That was the industry until reality shows became cheaper, and they had these people who, you know, you had soap operas running from like radio since the late forties. You had yeah, like As yeah. the World Turns, General Hospital, uh, Guiding Light, all these shows that had a loyal viewing. And then what kind of happened was, you know, with with the women's movement. There, there weren't a lot of women at home that didn't have a job. A lot of them went off to work, so you lost a certain demographic. And then yeah. when reality shows came in, they realized you can do shitty reality TV, yeah, and it's get so then, much cheaper. You know, you, you know, there was Donahue, and then you would get, like, Maury Povich, and then Springer, yeah, and Morton then Oprah, Jr. and all those. And then it just became, like, it's probably a cheaper way yeah. to do television. And then in the 2000s, about 2004, 5, 6, with, with the inset of reality TV, like The Real World or Jersey Shore, all those kind of freaking train wreck shows, they just realized there's no money in it. So a lot of them just folded up, and you yeah. had these guys in the industry, like camera guys and audio guys, who worked 30 years there. Know, and then they, they just, were, A lot of them were still shot in New York. Yeah, uh, and then they either said we're, some of them just closed up shop or we're moving to L.A. You can come if you want. A lot of guys couldn't. So, like, you know, yeah. you, you've been working on a show for 30 years, and now you got to go try to find work. So that's kind of the demise of soap operas. Well, um, on, a, on a side note, since we're talking about the 90s, they did try to revamp Dark Shadows in the 90s as an, as an like, Friday night nighttime soap you know it, like they did Dallas and you know like it was a soap opera that was on once a week <laughs> at night so there was they tried to I remember they tried to do Dark Shadows again but I don't think it lasted more than a season really yeah I don't remember and if the guy who would, would played like the the vampire someone you would recognize um I know he's in Chariots of Fire, but I can't think of anything, <laughs> anything more specific that you would be like, oh, yeah, that guy. And Tim Burton just did a... Uh, uh, and then he did, yeah, yeah, he he did, did the, the giant debt movie. movie. And at the time, getting back to Kolshak, uh, I had heard the rumor that, that, that 
uh, I don't know if Tim Burton was involved, but Johnny Depp was going to do a Kolchak movie. He was going to do oh, Dark yeah. Shadows, and he was going to do a, a Kolchak movie. And I was like, you know, I can't think of anybody to, to replace Darren McGavin. But, you know, Johnny Depp's astounded at me. Maybe yeah, he'd be he able to do a good job. Yeah, he quirky enough. You know, it's, they tried to do that TV show in, yeah, like in 2005 or six, yeah. and that didn't last. Which was like... They totally didn't understand. I didn't see. I didn't. I didn't see it. I, I have it, but I never watched I it. I think it's like the guy who was like married to like Charlize Theron, <laughs> the guy who played like. Uh, uh, he's uh, he might play Dorian Gray in the oh, the, the y- extraordinary yeah. gentleman, and yeah. he played like Lestat in like the one where with the singer who died. Yeah. Like whatever that list that movie was. Um, he was. But he's he, like a good looking guy. Yeah, you know? and, and, he's and, like a and then he's boy. yeah, he's like and he's got like like a leather jacket. <laughs> he's really cool looking. He's like got the scruff and then where it's like the whole thing. Although I'll say in this movie, McGavin's a stud. Is, he's styling and profiling, <laughs> and you know I, I guess we should get talking about the movie. Um, you know McGavin was forty nine when he did this freaking movie. You know, and uh, I guess we go back to the TV movies. TV movies were huge at the time. Uh, you had the vice president at ABC, Barry Diller, at the time. Uh, you know, uh, he he had went on to after ABC to go do Paramount Pictures, and he ended up starting Fox Broadcasting Network in the eighties. Um, he suggested ABC. He he had the idea. He wanted to to to, to produce uh, ninety minute TV movies on a scale of doing like a weekly series. Because you know, at the time, they had done a movie called Brian's Song with uh, I think a lot of people have heard of with yeah. James Conn and um, Billy D. Williams, which was a true yeah. story. Which was they did a remake of that. Yeah, they did recently, and that was a true story about a football player I think who gets cancer and passes away, and that was huge at the time, and that was like the ratings that was big. So Barry Diller goes to ABC and pitches them uh, doing you know a weekly ninety minutes you know TV movies. Uh, he pitched it to NBC and CBS. They both declined. Uh, he he says to them to ABC, listen, let's do 26 movies uh, for a full season package. Uh, ABC counters and says we'll only do eight. So Barry Diller goes to Universal, which is owned by MCA, and he he pitches it to them. And MCA says maybe we'll do it if you can uh, keep the budget for each film to be un- under four hundred thousand dollars, which is you know pretty big sum at the time. He counters and says, look, you know if we can keep it at ABC and you'll finance it, we'll do it through. Th- for three hundred fifty thousand each episode, uh, yeah. each movie. So they agree. So that jump starts the film business. So um, between seventy one and seventy two, Brian's song, like we said, comes out and uh, does great. So now they're looking for something to do. And do there's you know who where Duel aired. Uh, I do not know. I think we'll that, was, that was seventy one, but that was that was a TV movie. That was I, huge. I mean, we kind of think of that as like that's. You know, that's Spielberg's first feature, but that was a television movie. And also Richard Matheson. And Richard, that's right. That's you know, a, and we'll about an Richard, original story yeah. about Richard Matheson. And uh, at the time, three in the early 70s, Duel in 1971 was huge. And I don't think, if anybody hasn't seen Duel, go seek it out. Dennis Weaver. Yeah, I watched it not too long ago. And yeah. it is like shockingly good. Yeah. I said to a friend of mine, that I was like, I watched Duel recently. He was like, why? <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think Dennis Weaver's great in it. He's it's great very, in it. It's very, uh, I think, the paranoia level. And it's one of these things where you, know, you I hadn't never really. Seen it. I hadn't seen it since probably high school. Yeah. Um, and I just was like. Like that whole scene when he's in the phone booth and in, in the middle of nowhere in the <laughs> truck. The cobra, snake. the cobra snakes are all around on that thing. It's like, oh. And then it's one of these stories that you and I always talk about. Well, you can never find out why the fucking truck driver is following. It's, it's even scarier. This yeah. huge freaking truck it's, is uh, like 
And he's like a traveling salesman or something like that. I it was totally enjoyable. Yeah. I've to- I highly recommend it. So this that. is another movie that comes out of right field. Spielberg did like Night Gallery. He did like an episode of the Night Gallery pilot, which is a whole other amazing, that, that pilot hour and a half show was amazing. And then he does Duel, which is, I think is like his first, you know, solo gig, you know, 90 yeah. minute movie. Great. And then. And, and also, if you find the DVD, the great special features. Oh, really? Because um, he explained how Duel. he did it. Yeah. Which is fascinating how, like, they only had a certain strip of road, and so they would shoot it going this way and that way. That's and back. And he's like, because he had to figure out with this TV schedule, it was so fast. Well, he, that's, had to, he had to figure out how to do it. So he, they would just sh- shoot, you back know, and back and forth. That's another element to get and into. Just this. turn the cameras. Or <laughs> it was how fast these movies were made because they were actually pumping like one out a week almost. I mean, Night Stalker was shot in 12 days. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. So you have Duel come out in 71. You had Night Stalker come out in 72, which is huge. And then kind of the other coda, the, the other movie uh, from 1974 called The Morning After, which was about, a, it was a character study about alcoholism starring Dick Van Dyke. And that was yeah, huge. Yeah. So these and, movies and were Night huge Strangler at the time. did pretty well, too. And The Strangler in, in 74 did well, uh, 73 did well, too. But at the time, Night Stalker does freaking gangbusters. So you have this author named Jeff Rice. And, uh, you know, he... Uh, graduated college. He got a uh, a job at La- in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Sun, which is a newspaper as a copy boy. He was there during the 60s. He met a crazy editor named Alan uh, Jarson, and, and uh, he saw a lot of the stuff that he ended up putting into the Kolchak character. He wanted to write, he got out of the newspaper business, and he wanted to write a book, and he wanted to write something specifically about Las Vegas because yeah. he had seen through the 60s kind of the CD on it. I mean, because you got to remember, this is the context of like Martin Scorsese's Casino. Like yeah. the 60s and 70s, like how it was corrupt, you know, the mob, yeah, all this yeah. going on, public officials looking the other way. So he wanted to write a movie about that, uh, a book about that. Then he was like, you know, I got to do find an angle that's original. And he harkened back to him growing up. Like we talk about seeing the creature features, seeing like Lon Chaney Sr. Yeah, yeah. And seeing uh, Bela Lugosi and all these guys. So he's like, you know, I'll maybe I'll add an element to the supernatural, which I think at the time is completely like a new concept, like to try to do a, a reporter. He's going to do a newspaper reporter who's coming across and doing in finding a uh, you know coming across a vampire. Yeah. So he writes this 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 book or or, or this novel called The Kolchak uh, Paper. Papers. He says he finishes it October 31st Halloween night at midnight 1970. And he he, he tries to sell it, he gives it to it, he gets an agent. The agent doesn't sign him, but then the agent the agent starts shopping him around. The the, the Kolchak papers around. And they show it to Dan Curtis, and they show it to, to Barry Diller, and then they get Richard Matheson on board, the, the, the screenwriter. Yeah. And Richard Matheson agrees to write the screenplay. And then they come back to him, and they say, okay, we'll represent you to Jeff Rice. And then, to make a long story short, they end up, the movie comes out, the, the novel isn't even published well, that's yet. that's the thing, is like they, it's a movie based on an unpublished, an unpublished novel. novel. And he didn't get the, the novel published, I think, until like 73, but then as soon as the movie comes out, they send a letter a cease and desist letter saying we're no longer going to represent you. Good luck trying to find the uh, t- 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 thing. And he ends up like suing them, and he ends up eventually putting the novel out. He has to like do a, a, another draft to 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 show it. He can recopyright it or whatever. And then the the course the correspondence he had they kind of like so it's like certainly for you and I who are kind of in this business and Fletchling is getting into like the authorship industry. It's yeah, like yeah. it's how these people can fuck you over, <laughs> you know, and yeah, do a good yeah. job about it. So yeah, it comes out as like. Basically, become it comes out as like the quote unquote novelization of the movie, even though it was first. Yeah. And then what's funny is I believe, you know, so the first book comes out with Darren McGavin on the cover. Yeah. 
and you know, uh, Richard Matheson had adapted the novel for the movie. And then I believe the second movie Richard Matheson wrote, he did. And then the he, and then Jeff Rice adapts the screenplay for the second book. <laughs> so, so they got like it got inverted there. It was like Jeff Rice wrote it, Jeff uh, Matheson adapted it, and then Matheson adapt, wrote it, and then Rice adapted it for the for, for another book. And, and it goes through these different titles. It's it, it went from the Kolchak papers, and they tried to do the Kolchak uh, tapes, and it had a, a couple other names, and they finally come on the the Night Stalker. And they, they bring Richard Matheson in to do the screenplay. And, and uh, for, for the horror business, uh, Richard Matheson's like, Willie Dixon is the blues. Right? <laughs> and I don't know if people know who Willie Dixon is. I hope you do. You know, Richard Matheson is like the forebearer. I mean, everybody from like Dean Koontz, Stephen King, yeah. uh, Clive Barker, everybody. I mean, Richard Matheson was doing it back in the day. And he says he wasn't even interested in like horror. He just started doing stuff and, you know, trying to. He, he, he came into school like around the time of. Um, Ray uh, Bradbury and stuff like that and, and, you know, started doing stuff, you know, short stories in the early 50s and he kind of, you know, carved this market and it's kind of back to uh, maybe the last cast we were talking about where, you know, the advice people will say to you is to find a niche and do it well and that's yeah, what Matheson yeah. did and then Matheson, you know, I, I, I hope to God people out there know who Richard Matheson is because he, you know, he, he well, did... Well, you wrote one of uh, your favorites. My, I, I Am Legend. I, I love that novel. Uh, he ended up doing some quintessential Twilight Zone episodes, yeah. some of the best ever... I uh, did a couple night galleries. He did. Uh, he wrote Duel. He wrote Stir of Echoes that that came out in the early '90s. He wrote a whole bunch of stuff, and he's just like a really good. Yeah, horror I find writer. it interesting that I mean, I I don't know if it happened more back then than it does now, and of course it does. It does happen now. I mean, Stephen King has written screenplays for for movies that are based on his books, but I find it interesting. I feel like you don't hear a lot about like a writer that kind of spans so many mediums. Yeah. It seemed to happen more often back then. I could be wrong, but when you hear like Richard Matheson, I mean, even like you don't really hear too much of like some of the science fiction writers doing that. You know, like I don't know if Philip K. Dick wrote like a screenplay for any, for any of his movies. That's I mean, true. He, might, he may have, but do you know, it, 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 if he did, it's not as like popular of a concept next, you know, with him as it is like with Matheson. You know, like right away, if even if you like breach like the outer crust of Matheson, you realize that like he wrote I Am Legend, like uh, the, the novel. Then he wrote like all these Twilight Zone. He, he wrote The Invisible Man, the, the shrink or the, the the shrinking man in the fifties. Yeah, know about the so guy. like here's a guy that's crossing so many yeah. genres. And I, um, a script girl was just telling me that he actually wrote The Morning After that 1974 study on alcoholism, Dick Van Dyke TV movie that was huge. He wrote that as well, and he said that he got far more satisfaction writing TV features because uh, you'd have to worry about it being kind of episodic with commercial breaks and they paid a shitload more, you know? So he actually liked doing stuff like this. Yeah. And uh, he says, like, um, the only biggest thing he changed from the novel, using that as source material, was kind of like the, the, the Kolchak's heritage, where I guess in the novel, the Jeff, the Jeff Rice Kolchak papers... Uh, he, the Carl Kolchak paper character is a little believes it a little more. Is a little more um, because he talks about his um, his Eastern European heritage. He says like, "Oh, I remember my grandparents telling me these stories and all that." Yeah. And Richard Matheson changes it, saying like, um, "I mean, I don't know if we mentioned it. I mean, it's a this movie's a, it's a it's a I guess we did. It's a vampire story. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a, there's a there's a serial killer loose in Las Vegas, yeah. and he's the reporter." 
like on the story for his newspaper. He get, yeah, it, but it's just like a it's 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 a bum story. It's like you get into the the, the character of who Kolchak is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then it just randomly turns into this this big yarn that unravels. Yeah, that like everything's pointing to the fact that it's a vampire, but nobody believes it. Like there's no blood. Yeah. left in the body. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then and the, and there's no blood at the scene of the crime. There's so no like, where did the blood there's go? All, yeah, and, and it's all kind. Of, and then because Kolchak's the one pushing the story people like oh he's a hack you know of course yeah. it's not to be so and then when math Mathen says he kind of makes the kolchak character he didn't he didn't want him to readily accept that it was a vampire yeah. he wanted him to be like us kind of a skeptic until it yeah. presents itself like this is the only logical the you know if you take everything away that's impossible the only logic is you know is this um he's what i also find interesting about the movie is that he like you pointed out that he's like forty nine when he makes it? So he's Darren McGavin, yeah, Darren McGavin. But he, when I find this about the movie, he's like he's clearly an older guy. Yeah, and the backstory is that like he's at like this two bit newspaper yeah. doing this like assign this crappy story because he's been to all the other newspapers like throughout his career and been kicked and, out and he's been kicked out yeah so he's like he's stuck at this 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 uh fictional whereas Las the Vegas. show takes place in chicago well he's finally yeah because he's been kicked out all across the country he's been in new york and yeah. he got kicked out of that paper he's been to chicago he's been kicked out and of that, that was paper. his heyday like for him to be at new york that's the apex that's what he wants to yeah. get back to and he even mentions in this like this is going to get me back to new york because Darren McAvins' philosophy of um, creating the character was that his dream is to get back to New York and be writing for the Daily News, which is like at the time for newspaper reporters was like the place to yeah. be. And he always wants to get back to it. And that kind of alludes to McAvins, uh, when they when they pitch it to McAvin, he kind of comes up with this complete idea of, you know, the, the outfit and the presentation. And and now uh, in the first draft of the of the book, uh, Kolchak wears Bermuda shorts, socks, brown shoes. Uh, but McGavin thought, you know, if this guy was, say, a reporter in New York in the early 60s, he'll be wearing, like like in the summer of 62, he'd be wearing a seersucker suit, a straw hat, button-down Brooks Brothers shirt, and white tennis shoes. Yeah, just and because he's like... he was, That was him, and then he, when yeah. he got fired in 62 he never changed the style and yeah, that's yeah. that's but at the, in the movie itself that that, that outfit there the seersucker suit in the in the pork straw hat uh kind of becomes his look but then like you're saying he's styling and profiling he's got some really sweet outfits in this movie <laughs> like he's looking i mean and, and for mcgavin to be 49 he's like you know, and he's a ladies man in the movie and he's a and that's and this is where it tur- it takes a very tragic turn for me i feel the character well, yeah, itself do we, what do we want to get to no that? we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> but it's just so but you know mcgavin uh kolchak has a girlfriend in it that he's seeing that i guess it's alluded to that she's kind of a prostitute but yeah or a showgirl of some sort she well, works in at the, the casino or, in the original script she's a prostitute and it may be even in jeff rice's novel but of course the censors were like no we can't i mean you think of that to today yeah. they don't want to imply that she's a lady of the night and that's why at the end of the movie when they you know they, they say she's a girl of questionable means or whatever yeah, yeah. so they kind of just leave it in base. which i find like a lot of there's a lot of like i mean i guess i don't know if yeah i assume 70s like prostitution was the thing in in las vegas just like it is now but like a lot of the women are like prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, like that they're, they're like they're like call girls. Yeah, you know, and it's like I just I found for like 1971 or 72, I mean, for it to be like uh, a little surprising. Yeah, that it was like kind of just blatantly out there. I mean, you're saying that they censored that aspect of it, but there's other stuff that's like not really censored. I mean, in terms of like 
there are just like prostitutes walking around and then getting killed by vampires. Yeah, you know, and it, and it brings kind of the brilliance in of, of, of I guess, Jeff Rice's book into Matheson's script where it's just like, you know, you want to show the seedy side of Vegas and then not using the mob as your plot. You, you, you kind of show that like there's, there's something blatantly going on here that's fucked up. It's yeah. putting all a certain way. But then the bureaucracy is trying to like, you know, denied or which or I find it out of the amazing car. because it's very much like a Jaws. There's a fucking shark in the water. We <laughs> like need to get the people off the beach. Got, no, but there's, yeah, but the, you know the, the bureaucrats are like no, no, you know, it's like, not. no, no. It's like tourism. You know, if we close the beaches, basically the guy I don't know if he's the mayor or who, who that guy is in, 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 in Jaws. In, no, in this movie. Oh, he's like the head of yeah. I forget what his yeah, his, but he's like you know I've got the tourism. You know, got to keep this under wraps. You're not allowed to print the story until basically it's very similar in that he's saying like. We can't get everybody all riled up because Las Vegas is relying on tourism, and then the which is which is right out of Jaws a couple of years later. Yeah, I don't know when the book Jaws is written. That's true, um, but it's it's so much like that plot. Like we don't want we want to keep it all under wraps, and um, you have the the uh, the coroner there. Um, what's his the guy's name? Larry um, Linville, who ends up you know we know him from Mash. Yeah, he's from Mash. You know, Jeff Rice originally wrote the or had the idea and evidently he had a handshake deal with the, with the producers that he was going to play that part as the coroner. Huh. So he wrote the coroner the part to be the famous uh Thomas J Nagachi, I might be pronouncing that wrong. He was a very famous coroner in the uh, 60s and 70s who uh did the postmortems on Shannon Tate, Janis Joplin, William Holden, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, RFK and John Belushi. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to be have a character of that like presence to be like Agreeing with Kolchak, like no, yeah, yeah. this is kind of indicating that he is a, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a monster. It's uh, a very much of like his attitude is very much like you know if you eliminate the improbable, the yeah, improbable, yeah. no how, <laughs> no matter how, whatever, impossible. You know, this is this like is, it, it must be true, um, <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, so, and then like you know to talk about um, to to, uh, to Darren McAvin, you know he he. He went to school as like a for like a draftsman or like a or, or like a, a, a production designer or something. He got out and he just randomly auditioned for a play and he got the lead and then that's how he started acting. And he acted through the fifties, the sixties. He had a lot of great work on TV. He was yeah, in the yeah. Man with the Golden Arm. He's uh, the, he's so good in that movie. I know. I mean, the, I, I love that movie. I think that movie Frank Sinatra's yeah. The Man with the Golden Arm. Yeah, yeah. He's but I, I like that movie a lot. It's got such an interesting feel to it, especially because it's like. It has it has that like studio lot. Yeah. Oh, it's very yeah. It's very shot on the it. shot on the back. And it's got that like lot. that weird like progressive jazzy Jazz. drum yeah. score. And uh, Sinatra's McGav- basically a, uh, a heroin addict, and he's a heroin addict, like a clean heroin, like a former heroin addict who wants to like you know get his shit together, become a professional drummer, and all this stuff. And then Dermot Gavin plays the drug dealer, the fucking pulls him back in, man. He's so good in that part. No, he's he, so slimy. He's great. I mean, he's a, such a great I I mean, I know a lot of people our generation of course know Darren McGavin as the old man in a Christmas story, the father. Yeah. And which we talked about I I'm assuming around Christmas, Christmas time. I remember us having a conversation about Darren McGavin. And he's so good in that role. And you think about at the time he's got to be pushing 60. You know, because he's 49 in 1971 yeah. when he when he shoots. Sure. Because you know, this premieres in 72, so he shoots this in late 71, 12 days. You know, they shoot on location for like a week in Vegas, and they do go do the back lots in L.A. and Universal Studios. And then, so he's like pushing 60 in 1982 when they shoot, because 
Christmas Story releases in 83, and he's so yeah. good in that. Yeah. You know? He's great in that. Um, there, for uh, <laughs> McGavin fans out there, there is a great series that came out that was from 1959 to 1961 called Riverboat. And if I didn't tell you the title of this movie or this show, it's about uh, he's the captain of a, of a, of a uh, what do you call those? A, uh, the, a paddle boat that goes down the Mississippi River? Yeah, yeah. It's okay. called the Enterprise. <laughs> okay. Okay. He goes from, from, from town to town and gets into various adventures about, you know, people coming on board, the clientele, like that. And it co-starred Burt Reynolds. It was fir- Burt Reynolds' first appearance on, on, you know, on TV and all that. And then yeah. uh, rumor has it they had differences, so Burt Reynolds left the series and somebody else came in. But it's like, you know, come on, uh, a fucking riverboat named the Enterprise <laughs> going down the river and then, you know, in, in pre-Civil War dealing with, like, yeah. you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln comes on or, or somebody else comes on. You know, it's like, so it's yeah, like, it's yeah. very much... You know, it sounds like Star Trek, you know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, And then Darren McGavin goes on in 1970. He does this, this, uh, he wins an Emmy Award for doing a TV movie called Tribes, where he's a uh, Marine drill instructor and he's against this real nasty recruit played by Jan Michael Vincent. So it's a very young Jan Michael Vincent role. And uh, and then at the end of 71, he's in another TV movie called uh, The Death of Me Yet, which airs October 26, 71 which is directed by the guy they bring in to, to direct this Night Stalker movie, uh, John Llewellyn Moxie. So, Who's directed every TV show from 70s and even in the 80s, and yeah. is best known for doing a movie. Moxie. Uh, well, that, but he did um, City of the Dead, starring Christopher Lee, which has an alternate title called like Horror Hotel or something like that. Not uh, to be confused with City of the Living Dead, the Fulci <laughs> movie. City, yeah, this is just City of the Dead. <laughs> but he, he did uh, episodes of Kung Fu. He did episodes of, uh, he even did uh, like Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, like, just, he's just English he, guy, and, and McGavin just, he, loved him. They were he like, just did like every kind of, te- every television show imaginable. And they basically brought him in because McGavin worked with him, McGavin was comfortable with him, and they knew that he can get this movie done in 12 days. And everybody, you know, Dan Curtis, the producer, I mean, the four people that were clutch here were Barry Diller, Dan Curtis, who's the producer, McGavin himself, and um, I guess Matheson. And yeah. they, they bring all these cooks into the kitchen, and they and it flows effortlessly. And to talk about the, the you have some great freaking cameos in this movie. We have uh, the sheriff, Claude Atkins, is the... Uh, was in an early episode of The Twilight Zone, which we were trying to think of. that The Twilight Zone episode that that Steven Spielberg was going to do for Twilight Zone, the movie that he canned. It's called Monsters Do on Maple Street. Yeah. So he's in that episode with the guy who plays the vampire, Barry Atwater. They're neighbors on, you know, in the, in the calamity. So you have uh, Claude Atkins as the sheriff. He ends up for us in the 80s and maybe early 90s. He was the spokesman for Amico. Amico, A-M-C-O. That was him. Okay. Uh, you have Barry Atwater, who I said who plays the vampire. A lot of people uh, know as well. And really then you, unfortunate wig. <laughs> I know, you know. And then by the end of the movie, I wonder if it was on purpose. Are you try- Maybe he was purposely wearing a wig because near the end of it, like they not to just, give it away, but yeah. like when he, when Kolchak's got him down in that final act, it looks like he he is his age. You know. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look like he is like a young. Dracula. Yeah, but certainly. There's also, like, spoiler alert, there's also a a point where he. McGavin, uh, Kolchak opens, like, a drawer and finds, like, all these, like, fake mustaches. Yeah, all kinds of spirit gum makeup. Yeah. 
Maybe, so, maybe it was supposed to be a word. He's, you know, but then he, he looks really his age. Um, you have Elijah Cook Jr., who I freaking love in this movie. He plays like the uh, a, a degenerate gambler who, at the end of the movie, like you know. Oh yeah, he's that guy's in everything. He's too. in. He was in. He was in an episode of Starsky and Hutch. I was watching the other day. <laughs> well, he's he's at the beginning of Rosemary's Baby. Remember, he shows them the 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 apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah. He plays um, in Maltese Falcon. He's. Um, What's his face? Uh, 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 oh my God! What's his name? Uh, uh, big guy that Peter Laurie and uh, oh, Sydney Greenstreet. Thank you. My God, I forget. He's he's Sydney Greenstreet's um, bodyguard. That yeah. member brings uh, Humphrey Bogart. I think he's on Star Trek too. Oh yeah, he yeah he played it. He was he, he would, was he, would, vo- he was what's his face's lawyer. Uh, yeah, uh, he's he's Kirk's lawyer on if an episode. If you're our age, you would recognize because <laughs> yeah. there's no way you would have not seen him in something. I mean, even Bear Atwater, um, the vampire, he played uh, he played a Vulcan philosopher in a 1969 uh, Star Trek episode, the Sausage Curtain, or the the, the sausage, <laughs> the sausage that's party. The, that's the uh, that's the X-rated version. The, <laughs> the Savage Curtain. That's a typo. <laughs> oh, that's the uh, that's the uh, the beef curtains. Yeah. The, the the wizard sleeve. <laughs> Yes, the uh, the Savage Curtain he played uh, the Vulcan <laughs> philosopher, Surik. Oh, Jesus. See, that's the beauty of live to tape. <laughs> you can't bleep stuff out. Classic. And then la- lastly, uh, who I freaking love, who stays with the series, is Simon Oakland, who I freaking love. Simon Oakland plays Cold Check's um, uh, uh, Tony publisher. Vincenzo. Tony Vin- the legendary Tony Vincenzo. Uh, we What's know him. He? But he's like, I, I kind of recall that they, he has like a different first name in this. No, he's Tony Vincenzo. Because I went back, I was like, yeah, did they say his name was Albert Vincenzo? No, it's like but... Tony Vincenzo. And, and Tony Vincenzo, I mean, uh, Simon Oakland is so great in this role. He's in uh, Robert Wise's West Side Story. He might be Officer Crumkey. Oh, he might, yeah. Uh, he's, he's also, I mean, most iconically, just for the end of Psycho. He plays, he the, plays yeah, he plays as the, the, the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist that, that gives, that like, explains the, the whole fucking the plot. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's not a, that's an unforgiving part to play, too. I know. That you're sitting there, it's just like, it's like five minutes straight of, like, monologue of exposition and for everything it, you just saw. And he fucking delivers it like a pro, man. Yeah, Simon Oakland's amazing. Simon Oakland was a freaking ex-professional violinist. Go figure. He He's in uh, The Sand Pebbles with Steve McQueen. He's also f- very famous. He's a captain in Bullet, Steve McQueen's oh, Bullet yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, that's it. He's a World War II vet. And uh, to, to prepare for his role, he went to talk to Jeff Rice, uh, the, the, the writer of the book. He went to the, the old newspaper he used to work for and got stories about Jeff Rice working there. And I love that he's got, like, big collars. Oh, and, it's like, great. And the shirt, like, halfway unbuttoned with his chest. <laughs> Well, he there's a there's a scene it's where classic. no he's 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 so good at it. Um, there's a scene where uh, what, they're they're preparing for a scene, and Jeff Rice, the, the writer of the books, on set and goes to Simon Oakland and says like, you know, how you doing with your part? And Simon Oakland starts yelling at him, like berating him, like you're two weeks late on blah blah blah, da, 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 and he stops, and Jeff Rice takes him and realizes, oh, he's just. Simon Oakland's been coming up with all these litany of things to yell at Kolchak about, yeah, yeah. and he's got some fucking beautiful lines. I mean, I mean. Their interaction, is, I think, is amazing. Well, I mean, it's what, it's also one of the great things about the show. Yeah, I mean, the chemistry between the two of them, the, the just the, the the way those two guys play off each other and those like opposing <laughs> oh, you, parts. You remember, I mean, in this movie where he's like, uh, he's like, you're making a connection here that the the the, 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 the thing killed the thing, and he goes, oh, Colchester, well, not so much. He goes, hey, vampire killer. <laughs> <laughs> what am I reading this yeah, wrong? He's like, you know, you're implying that a vampire killed him. He's like, well, you know. It's, it says here, vampire kills. 
<laughs> he's so good, but he just—he's so good at this movie. He's like, how, well, how did I misread this? <laughs> Vampire killer. Um, so you know, you have all the reason why they bring all these seasoned pros in because they want it to be flawless and they—they they want it to 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 uh, to work seamlessly. And then uh, Dan Curtis brings in Bob Colbert to do the music because he knew great score, man. Dark Ooh. Dark Shadows, yeah. A lot of really, you know, there's a lot of like shrieking. Yeah, uh, like violin stuff that, that works really well. That is great in this, but you'll hear it like in Joseph Bashar's scores for like the Insidious movies. Yeah, like it's a it's a sound palette that still fucking works it's, today. It's freaky. It's, it's just so it's just, good. I you mean, know, it's very. Good. It's a jazz soundtrack. But a lot then, of it has like the lot. You're right. A lot of it is like really cool, awesome jazz. But then you get like these horror suspense elements that are very like modern sound. Yeah. Like you could put that shit in a movie today and it would still sound fresh. Very freaky. Very freaky. And, uh, and, uh, Lastly, I guess there's another great cameo, which I didn't know about until I did research for this movie, that one of the stuntmen, uh, there's a scene where they're around a pool, and there's, like, cops all around the guy, and they're trying to, like, get the vampire, and he's throwing, the, the vampire's throwing the cops around. One of the cops is a stuntman, is Hal Needham, uh, I'm sorry, Hal Needham, who okay. is the director that went on to do Smokey and the Band oh, and all those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah he, who just passed away, I think, last year. Yeah. Uh, Hal Needham. So it's amazing that, like, you know, like he's in the movie too. And I love that, like, in the seventies, like, you, that's the time where, like, they don't even try to hide, like, the fact that it's a stunt. Yeah, you know, it's like a dude <laughs> with a mustache. It's, just, it's clearly remember, not. You know, I remember even as like a kid watching like the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, and then they were cut like to a stuntman of like Bo Duke or whatever riding a horse and he's got like a mustache it's just like he's like balding it's like totally a different guy it's not Tom Wopat or whoever yeah and it's like who the hell is that guy huh? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they 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 uh you know they uh, parody that beautifully and I'm gonna get you sucker oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> with Keaton Ivory Williams with a fight in, the, in like the diner but uh this is one of those classic moments where it's like you're watching and it's like a stunt scene happens and it's like so clearly not like Darren McGavin or the guy who's the vampire it's it's it's, it's so funny and uh you know the, the movie just unfolds and I was when you're watching the movie it's such a unique perspective. I, I was trying to challenge myself. I can't think of another movie that the vampire isn't the central character. And I'm thinking maybe like Stephen King's um, Salem's Lot, you know, but it's hard to think of, or maybe like 40 Days and 40 Nights. Uh, is that 40? Not 40 Days and 40 Nights. Uh, four, 30, 40 Nights of Night. 30, you know, the, <laughs> what's the... Uh, 40 Days of 40 Nights. Uh, Stephen, Stephen <laughs> Niles wrote the um, yeah, 30 yeah. Days of Night. 30 yeah, days, and I'm yeah. thinking of 40, another completely different movie. <laughs> but, like, th that isn't necessarily about the vampires as a, as a central character. But yeah. it's such a great plot device where the vampire isn't the central character. So you're not, like, it's not like Dracula yeah. where you're following around, he's conflicted, or, you know, or you have, like, Christopher Lee, or, you know. Well, I mean, in Dracula, is he really I, the central character? I guess you're right. It's like Jonathan Harker. All right, <laughs> <laughs> No, but in a sense where you get you get to know... I guess you're you, right. The, yeah, this is yeah. I mean, but you know, you, you kind of get to know Dracula a little bit. You you realize he's com he's com he's conflicted, and you realize why. You get the backstory that he was you know Vlad the Impaler, yeah, yeah. and he's coming to England. There's to get a uh, great episode. I'm, since we're we're in the '70s, so my head's there. And we were just talking about uh, the other guy. It was there's a great episode of Starsky and Hutch where there is a a vampire on the loose. Of Starsky killing, and Hutch? <laughs> kill, killing people. Dude, you're just throwing everybody in Played by John Saxon. Wow. Uh, but, uh, and there's, in the show, 
Kolshak the Night Stalker, there's a vampire episode that is... It's a direct re- uh, sequel to this. Yeah, which is like a direct sequel to this it's movie. It's like the third or fourth episode. Um, But and I love the portrayal. The the guy, Barry Atwater, who does the, this this uh, vampire, he's like, it's not... It's one of those things where it's not like the... It's, uh, again, so much like the 30 Days a Night where it's... They're not glorifying Dracula or a vampire as a romantic. He's you don't just, really know anything about him. Which is, I mean, they find out his name. His name's like Janos something. And um, they end up, it, uh, uh, what is it, Skorzynski or Skorzynski. And they, you know, they, they, he's born in 1899. I love how they found, for some, somehow they found, like they've been able to track him through the ages. <laughs> you know, in World War yeah, II, yeah. he was in London and he was like in the air raids and he had this special refrigeration unit and then he went away. Well, and, you know, you brought up the fact that he's old, you know, he's an older guy. And I, it, I don't know. There's something. I think it works on a like on a level that I'm not sure is intentional. Yeah. But it, it's very, it's a very interesting aspect of the movie. And like when you first finally see the guy, and uh, it's very well, much played over the shoulder until yeah, like a reveal of him. Yeah. But spoiler, he there's the first time you actually like see him is like he's taking blood out of like a hospital refrigerator, and, and it's like, it's, and you're like. Is he a hench? Like, is he like a servant? <laughs> he's like a Renfield capacity, like, <laughs> like he's the, this guy's the vampire. Like, you know, is he doing it for the vampire? And it's like, no, that guy's the fucking vampire. You're like, oh, he's doing it's it fucking yeah. weird, but yeah. I'm into it. He's doing it all himself, and it's like, in in real life, how are you gonna survive as a fucking vampire? He's killing women, like you know, uh, um, the, the I guess he's going after like um, first he goes after like women he can find on the street, which yeah, are like hookers yeah. and stuff. Then as it gets going, I love like. They find the one girl, which I've since I saw the movie, I didn't see it in a couple of years after. I I remembered it to this day, where like they find the one girl thrown. Yeah, I think that's like, such a great. It's, it is a really cool device. She's like they find in the middle her, of sand. Yeah, and like fifty feet away. She's she's like fifty feet out in like the middle. Of, yeah, like some sand, and her body's there, and there's no footprints around her. Yeah, and so they're like they're the, like the, the girl, cops are like, what the fuck. And that song, maybe it's Kolchak. Somebody's like, "What did they th- she get th- th- thrown over here?" Yeah, because, because it's like overlooking like a little hill. Yeah, you know, and it's like so, and it's, it's all like these aspects of like, you know, how would you survive if you were a vampire? Maybe you'd raid the blood just, banks. And even it's just like the visuals of like the girl there, I thought were very like risque. Yeah, for like nineteen seventy, I would, I what I would imagine would be for nineteen seventy two. Yeah, it's like it's a little provocative, and even it, and then like. That it gets, it really catches the audience's like attention because he kills the first girl. We see that kill, and then the second, I think, kill may be the one where they find her, and they're like, oh, "How the hell did she get out here in the middle of the sand?" And then, like the third one is like, "There's one, at some point I like lost count because they're like this is the fourth victim." I was like, "Wait, what happened? What, what? Okay, where's number three? <laughs> I was counting on my hands." But there's I'm like, "Okay, I remember this one? I remember that one? Like, where's the third one?" There, there's the one where the, when it's like you know she. She was home with her with her family. She put her bathrobe on to get like a glass of milk in the in the kitchen, and then you know she opened her back door and went outside because like obviously fucking Dracula showed up and just gave her the, 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 <laughs> gave the, her the stare, gave her the evil eye, the evil eye, and she can't, and it's like it's so and even to, there's a point where like they trap him, he turns around and gives everybody that evil eye, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> perfectly stops. lit, yeah, I like perfectly, like. like, and he, you know, and, and it's great, it's mystifying. Everyone's like confused and they stop, and even Kolchak like, what the hell, you know? And I love they they give him like blood red contacts, yeah, yeah, you know, creepy. Um, yeah, so it's like you know, it's so cool that the, the you know, and it's it's it really holds up well, like the story itself. It does, you know, it was it was like considering it's 1972, it's probably still will feel a little bit. 
slow to some people, but it gets right to it. But it's going. You know, it doesn't, if you're it into doesn't, it, it doesn't fool around. It gets right. It gets, <laughs> you know, it gets to it fast. And then I pretty soon you're just on the, you're on the ride with culture. Yeah. I mean, the music's good. Kolchak. I mean, I think what really works is they started off as like a voiceover. So it's already happened. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's supposed to, you know, it's, you're getting the feeling that he's. It's already happened. Yeah. He's, he's got like, like a book. And this is like his memoir of what happened. Like yeah, he, he read it out, and he's like, you know, and he, and he starts off like, you know, you, you're going to read about this. You're not going to read about this in the paper. That, you know, you, you probably, it's been taken away from me, but this is what happened, and this is the last time I'm ever going to talk about it. And it's all like, you know, it starts up on the close-up of a tape. He hits play. It, 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 it kind of comes back, the camera, and then you see him in frame. He grabs a beer, and he's listening to what he just recorded, and then, that's your, then you go into the story. So it also gives you that the great device of, like, that's why he's narrating. So Kolchak kind of narrates it. Yeah. And I love Kolchak, the character's description of everything. Yeah. You know, he talks like, because he's a reporter, so he gives you, like, um, freaking, you know, Dolores May. She was five foot two, blonde hair, high heels. You know, a, a, a Walker Street girl. She didn't know that, she, you know, her cutting through that alley would be the last thing she ever did in her life. And it's like that is what translates into the show. And there's so yeah. many monologues that he gives through the course of the show that are great. And then at the end of this movie, when he's making his fine points before the credits, he starts doing that other classic thing that he does in the show where he's like, item. Blah, 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 blah. Item, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. item, and it's great, you know, and it, and it really, and it really works, and it's just, I mean, you know, uh, freaking Darren McGavin. I can't picture anybody else but Darren McGavin doing this role. He is great in this, and you know, and like we said, he's a fucking, he's like a ladies' man. He's a bit of a stud. There's even like, I don't know, there's something like evolution has changed, like the male body, and that like we see him with his shirt off, and he's got like that very like that box. Boxy like shoulders and yeah, chest. It's very much <laughs> like it doesn't. It doesn't seem like guys are shaped like that anymore. Yeah. But it's he's like, fit. You know, he's not really like he's not overweight no, no, or poncho. No, no, he's you know? just like yeah. he's a very broad shoulder, but in a very like square kind of yeah, way. Yeah, like '40s kind of a man, you know, <laughs> uh, like a leading man kind of way. You know, <laughs> you know, like he's built like a Batman the animated series character. Yeah, you know, almost that. he's missing that that sharp chin. You know, not like a. It's it like, huh? They just don't. They literally don't build them like that anymore. Um, I found it also hilarious that through the whole thing he's like snapping pictures. I'm like, what's he doing with all these pictures he's snapping? You never find out what he's doing. He's got all these, like, is he developing these pictures? And nobody seems to care. Yeah, yeah, he just runs right in. That's back in the day when you'd let the reporter have full access. So the reporter, he has his great Mustang, which ends up translating through the show. He ends up, I think, I thought his Mustang was yellow in the series, but he has like a blue Mustang in this. And yeah. I, I guess I kind of put one and one together when we watched it. I guess he has this fast Mustang because he can get to the call as soon as it, you know, it go, goes out. So he sometimes gets there before the cops get there. Yeah. You know, so the cops are like, ah, they can't kind of like, okay, you, you know, maybe because of the, uh, you know, the rights reporters have, you know, that they're, he's able to yeah. get on scene too, which I guess doesn't really happen anymore. But in the old days, you know, they kind of, there was a trust, which I think is dissolved now between law enforcement and reporting. But like they would give them a limited access. So you can come, you know, one of these things where like, we're, we want you to keep this out of the papers. Unofficially, it is a zombie. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, they yeah. say something, but don't print that. Okay. And then the reporters wouldn't go print it. But like, yeah, you know, yeah. that's kind of changed. Well, he's now. also got like an ally on the force in this. Yeah. Uh, um, another great actor, too, that, that's in that, too. Um, what's his name? Ralph Meeker, who, who's, who's a, uh, a great little actor that's in stuff, too. Uh, I mean, there's just so many great people that show up in this movie. And uh, I love how 
Dracula's, or I keep saying Dracula, but it's not the vampire. He's driving like a freaking station wagon. <laughs> got, but it's perfect because it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very non-glorified, you know, like view of what. But being I mean, a you think about if you like. if you're going to need a car to transport your bodies, you're going to grab a station wagon, a freaking you know imitation Woody, and he you know he yeah. opens that back area, throws the, the body in, you know, and at the end of the at the end of the the, the movie, of course, no one's listening to Kolchak, and he's like, you know, I want you know you need to start, and he pitches to them like you're going to have to start carrying his hammer and he says even like these stakes and they're like what do you want me to, us to do pound it in his chest he's like no they need to pound it into the heart <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and they're like oh this is crazy and then th- i think they actually listen to him they yeah, end up like issuing like, okay. <laughs> you know because at at some point at the end of the rope kind of you know even at the beginning of it it's it's brilliant i guess on richard matheson's part because at the time shows like marcus welby and all these procedural like the dragnets these 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 either doctor shows or cop shows when you have the title the night stalker they're doing the post-mortem yeah. and it's very much like an episode of like columbo or like you know like i said marcus welby where it's like very clinical doctor yeah there's no music it's just this is it and they're doing this and then that's when they realize wait a minute you know there's no blood there's no lividity uh what the fuck is okay <laughs> We need to call somebody, you know? And it's cool because it's giving you that angle. It's like the real world meets the fantastic. And how do you... And it's it's so crazy they have to believe it, which I guess is like the theme in this cast. Yeah. You know? Um, And then at the end of it, they end up... uh, Kolchak ends up, you know, killing the... He tracks him back to the house. And I love he goes inside the house and and uh, you know the 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 guy in the house is he he's he's he, it, the house is a pigsty he's a monkey pup in this yeah, place, yeah. and he he goes in he looks opens the fridge there's fucking blood in the fridge it's it's really cool like to see like the Dracula's I keep saying Dracula the vampire's lair <laughs> call him Dracula we'll know, we'll know who you're talking yeah. about <laughs> goes up to the second floor he's got a girl there it's like you know yeah, he's yeah. draining her of blood and it's well one he, of the she victims. we we know is missing yeah there's this girl that's missing and he's like I'm you know Kolchak's like no she's victim number five. Uh, but we, lo and behold, he's like holding her as like a live as a live blood bag. Shelly Forbes, or the, yeah, yeah. And it's a great device. And then Kolchak finds the coffin, opens the coffin. There's fucking dirt in the coffin. Like you know, that's all that back yeah. to like the the, the the history of. And it's what's really weird is Kolchak's girl Gail in the movie, uh, who who is the girl he's seeing. She's the one that hips Kolchak. To the idea of like you know you need to start reading some vampire stuff because this sounds like in cults like what the hell are you talking about and she plops <laughs> like yeah. all these books on vampires and vampirism and the occult on them and she's basically the catalyst to 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 Kolchak the Night Stalker the series because yeah. if Kolchak had not sat down and read all this I guess we would say fiction about or the, on the supernatural he wouldn't or know folklore that, or folklore you know? that that this would you know so Gail's the one who eventually ends up um, you know jumpstarting the whole thing that, that leads him in the right direction so. Kolchak has him at the house at the end, and and, and he he's, he 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 uh, busts in with him and his his, his Ralph Meeker, uh, Bernie, his his cop friend. They, they they kill the vampire right right as the sun's coming up, and the cops are there, and then they end up uh, framing Kolchak. They, they 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 ride him out of the town, sort of on a rail, and they say to him like, you know, you're gonna go away. What do, what do they say? They're gonna they're gonna put him on charges, you know? And yeah, uh, they basically just fucking. They, they mean, know, you know, fuck them over. And that's one of the only times I got to say to at the end of that, that that when he has the whole thing written and he gives it to Tony Vincenzo, Tony Vincenzo gives him some respect. He says, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, he says, you know, this this is really good or whatever. And but I think Tony Vincenzo already knows that it's not going to get published. Yeah, that he can't publish, you know, and then that's when he's like, you better go so- chalk to whatever. And then all the everyone's there like, you know, we're going to get you for attempted murder and all this stuff. And it's the only way I guess, you know. You can kind yeah, of see why. Yeah, they basically want to frame him for murdering the vampire 
because the cops bust bust in and he like drives a stake through the guy's heart. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a stake through the guy's heart. And uh so they want to they want to book him for murdering the va- the guy who's the vampire who's basically like a few these he is like a you know a suspect in a murder case but they want to they want to arrest him for the murder of that guy in exchange for the like they'll let you go we'll let you go but you got to leave Las Vegas and you can't fucking come back which is preceding or uh, not preceding but like after a really like touching scene with the with his girlfriend yeah which i think is what you were alluding to earlier right yeah well they they end up saying like in you know don't don't bother going home or whatever she's already well been... see they have this great scene where he's like this is good you know i got this is the story you know this is going to get me back in new york and i'm going to take you along you know, you're going to come with me and then he's like as he's walking out the door he kind of says like you know let's get married kind of thing and She's like, you know, smitten. But do you think they've talked to her already at that point? No, I don't think and, so. Uh, I so think in the time that he it's goes like to everything's the, looking up for Colchak. Yeah, Colchak's going to go got back girl. to New York. He's got he's a girl. Got a, he's got a girl that he loves. He's going to get married. They're going to move back to New York. He's going to be a star reporter. He's again. finally proved to, to himself that, like, you know, he has what it takes. He's going to prove to all his detractors that this is actually, I am a reporter. This stuff is, I am what I am. And then he's got this great story. Vincenzo gives him props, respect yeah. for it, even though Vincenzo knows that he can't print it. Then he goes to the cops or the, you know, the wh- whoever. The committee. The, the, the committee, the, the wherever bureaucrats. these guys are. And they're like, well, we're going to we're gonna arrest you for murder. We're yeah. going to try you for murder. Because they, they don't leave. want him to get out that, that there was a vampire he's, there because it would destroy. It's like Jaws. I mean, you know, it, but it would like, destroy. But he's like, I need to get my girl. And he's like, well. No, you can't because we we fucking paid her off. She's she's already left town. Yeah, they they pushed her out because they called her an undesirable undesirable element, and they they forced her out of town never to come back. And it becomes this really sad like it's a very somber like I don't know. There's like there's episodes of Star Trek that end that way. Like yeah. when, Edith, when like City on the Edge of Forever. Oh, Jesus. Spoil or when like Edith Keeler dies. I mean like you know it's it's Bones always just holding Kurt back. It's, it's always like very those endings those uh, bittersweet those bittersweet like uh, endings all happen where like the credits don't roll over stills from the from just the series. They roll like over the moving fucking image of like Kirk. You know, there's the one with. Uh, Miramani, the you know one that's like the Native American type people, where he has amnesia and he and he goes there. It's like it's for me. It's very same feeling of like angst that, yeah. I, that I get in watching those Star Trek episodes that I love. You know, uh, that I felt like so shitty about this because like his he's driving and he even like even his narration is like I don't know what she's doing. You yeah, know, he's like, a, he says he he uh, he's, he put he's put classified articles and. Uh, Papers from San Francisco to St. Louis until the money ran out, and he's like, and I couldn't, I could never right. find her. And yeah, he, you like, know, she wants to be found. I never saw her again, kind of thing. And, and it's, it's like, become Oof. so tragic because then it's like after that, you never hear of him having any really romantic interest. Yeah, that was the one. Man. You know, that was the one that got away, <laughs> and it wasn't even his fault. Like he did it right, but it was framed in such a way. So it's like it's in this sad, so sad note where like you know they they drove him out of town and they tell him to leave, and, it, and he has to he gets packing, and it's like the you know. The final credits is it's just like again it's him narrating like item this happened item yeah, this yeah. happened and it's just it's so sad and you know th- and no one's ever gonna find out about it and you know they 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 force his friend the cop friend Bernie he's like I'm so sorry Carl I can't help you and it's just like <laughs> it's so you know it's like they 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 they've tied my hands too and he's and you know and it ends 
and uh, Sweet phone booth in the wherever the committee meets. This is like an outdoor phone booth, but indoors. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that you get to see that no, they no longer you have know, nowadays. People smoking places that people everybody, don't. everybody's smoking in the thing. They're like doctors are smoking. They're smoking while they're having the autopsy. You know. Smoking during surgery. Yeah, they're smoking during surgery. Yeah. <laughs> There's an ash a mile long on the and he, he's talking to the to the nurse and the ash is just shaking there. Yeah. <laughs> Nurse ashtray, <laughs> yeah. Nurse, light me another one, thank you. You know, it's it's just it, you know, uh, it's crazy. Uh, so I don't know. And then the movie the movie ends, and uh, lo and behold, like we said, this freaking thing does gangbusters. Yeah. You know, it it it's amazing. It it ends up uh, doing so well. It's like uh, it got a fifty four percent share, and and the, to try to frame this right. It comes out, and they estimate that 75 million people tuned in to, to, to see it, like 32% of America. Out of like 54% of people who would have had the TV on at the time, they've determined, that 32% of them watched this. Yeah. Or 32 out of 54% watched the, yeah, the yeah. Night Stalker. And they average it to, to between 8.30 and 10 p.m. when this movie was on, and it's only 73 minutes because they, they, they did commercials for a 90-minute movie. Yeah. One out of three Americans were watching this damn thing. And it was freaking huge, the ratings. So, of course, I like, wonder like, what was on against it. Like, how, what was the hype? Like, how did they advertise it? Like, why were there so many people watching it? I think it was like, just were like, people watching audience. it because they, like, they hyped it and people, like, wanted to watch it. Or there's just like, it, it was just got, it lucked out that it was on, like, at a date and time where, like, there was nothing up against it. Well, people settled in and then got hooked on it and kept watching it. To put a, I think that, that the advertisements did a good, did a good amount of that. And then to put a plug in for what I was reading, I have at home the Cold Check Companion, the Night Stalker Companion. It's a, a long, out of print book yeah. that when I got it, it wasn't too much money on eBay. But now it's, like, going for, like, 100 or 200 yeah, bucks Cold on Check's eBay. Cold had, like, a big resurgence in recent years. Yeah. And, and I got the Kolchak Companion right before it went up. So I was reading for this cast a lot about it. And they talk about, I mean, this dude, I forget the author's name who did this. Uh, who t- he put out a whole bunch of books on, like, Columbo and all this other yeah. stuff. And he, t- he frames it pretty well, like, what was going on that night. Like, PBS was airing this special. This was going on how, you know, the Mod Squad was on before. Um, Marcus Welby was on afterwards, so... You know, it was a hot day in, in, in New York City at the time. And, you know, he, you know, really <laughs> yeah, yeah, gives you yeah. all that, like, you know, so people weren't comfortable and they went home, you know. So, uh, you know, for some reason, everyone tuned in. It was so good that they, they, they ordered another uh, movie that, that, again, Richard Matheson would, uh, went on. I think Dan Curtis directed, the producer goes on to direct The Night Strangler. Night Strangler, yeah. And then they, they want to do a third movie with, with Richard Matheson, which I think Richard Matheson agrees to and they write a script. And then ABC maybe says, no, give us a series instead. Yeah. But there was some kind of, it's weird because there's some kind of, uh, when they remade, when they did the, like the redo in the, in 2005, yeah. the one, like the kind of the remake show that we were just talking about, like that show couldn't, wasn't based on the show. Well, cause Universal, since Universal I think it's because of the movie. Universal still owns the movies. Yeah. Which is MCA. That's why somebody else so, releases the movie. That's why the movies are separate from the show. Yeah, because like the show went on and the show is owned by, you know, maybe ABC because or whatever. Because the show, because the remake show in 2005, which is just called like... Maybe Night Stalker. Yeah, or something they like couldn't that. use elements that appeared in the, in the movie show. Or... They it can, it's only based on the movie. Yeah, so they can only use like characters and stuff that are from the movie, not the show. This movie that we're talking about tonight, yeah. but not from the series. Now, let me ask you this question. Yeah, if you were to watch the show Kolchak the Night Stalker. Yeah, 
and he's like the he's the character that is the you know the thing that connects every episode. Yeah. So I think the implication is that Kolchak is the Night Stalker. Yes. In the show. Yeah. But considering that the second movie is called the Night Strangler, Night Strangler, I think the first I think show in this movie is the Night Stalker is the vampire. The Night Stalker is the vampire. But right? then it's they want of course tie in. You can't call the show Kolchak because Kolchak is also uh, forgive my history, but he's some sort of World War One general. I forget. There's some if you if you search Kolchak, you're going to come up with Carl Kolchak, Darren McGavin, you're going to come up with this, <laughs> this other guy who's this yeah. big historical figure. So I think they yet, they needed to keep the, this is the Night Stalker, so they needed to keep that tie yeah, together. Yeah. So Kolchak, then it's became Kolchak, yeah. the Night Stalker. And um, Dan Curtis is not involved. Richard Matheson says, uh, one, he didn't want to get involved with the TV series because Dan Curtis um, wasn't going to be involved, which gets him off the hook. Also, he says... He really didn't want to write stuff that's going to be like a, uh, you know, come up with have to come up with a new di- idea every week. He yeah. said that would be com- too well, completely hard. Of, like you know, for all uh, intents and purposes, I mean, and and it goes to like a little anecdote that I'm sure we'll get to before we wrap it up about the X Files. Is that like McGavin, like uh, Darren McGavin didn't really like playing this, didn't really like being called Shark. Well, right? I mean, no. wasn't it something to do with like he didn't mind doing the show, but he was like, I just don't want to do a Monster of the Week yeah, show. Yeah, because and what happened was quick, very quickly became that. Yeah, because he 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 did a handshake deal again that he was going to be like the executive producer on the show. Him and his wife wife uh, Kathy, I think Kathy Brown is her name. Uh, who is, was very much hands-on, and she ends up, I think, in the last episode or two, she shows up as, like, the um, the FBI agent or whatever. Remember, there's, in, like, uh-huh. one of the last episodes that ends up uh, Kathleen Brown is his wife. So he has this deal with whoever ends up producing the show, who the name escapes me. And they're like, yeah, you know, you, you'll be the executive producer, so it's going to be, like, you know, us and then you and, you know. But then when it goes into production... He, there's nothing on paper saying that. Yeah, yeah. So the first like two or three episodes, he's all into it. But then like by episode or four or five, what he specifically didn't want the the monster of the week, a guy in a rubber suit, starts happening. Yeah. So by the time he's in like episode ten or eleven, he's like, "This is horrible. We're not doing what we want." Yeah. And it, he gets so frustrated with it, he's like, "I wish they just canceled this damn show because it's it's kind of like destroying." you know the whole what we what we wanted here yeah, yeah and he's doing interviews at the time where he's like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna sue this that and the other thing you know i wish they just canceled it because they're not doing they're kind of bastardizing he's like i'm not mad at he's like i'm not mad at people in particular he's like i'm mad at the process and the, bu- the bureaucracy again about it or there's yeah, so yeah. many people making these it's they're making the decisions as opposed to like hey, well here's that. the thing i mean i think it's so he gets con- to- completely disenfranchised Something to put it. in the context for the listeners that don't work in like the television or film industry. Uh, an, ex- an executive producer in a, f- in a film is very often just like a guy that secured funding or something. It's very much a financial uh, uh, credit, you know, they, they're, you know, as opposed to the producer, like the, the just the producer, which is more of like a cre- creative role the executive producer in a movie, but in television, it's very different. The yeah. person who's the, the executive producers of a television show are the people that run the show. Yeah. Like they're the people in charge. You get like the creator of the show, which is often also a executive producer. If, and if they're not, they also, they often have a lot of control, even though they are not billed as an executive producer, but then the executive producer really is like the director of like the whole series, because you figure in a television show, you, some shows have directors that do every episode or, or, or a lot of episodes, but you're working with uh, 
directors, like different people directing every episode for the most part. So you need somebody that has a grasp on the show as a whole to make sure that everything else feels correct. You know, yeah. like because you have all these other uh, cooks you know, in the kitchen. Yeah, like, like in a, on a t- on a feature film, the director is like the main creative force. But you can't really do that in television because yeah. they all have to match. As well as sometimes it's very much so. There's not always the same director. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like like you know, you could episode direct episode. episode one, and then I d- direct episode two. But if I do something that's completely different than what you did, it doesn't feel like the same show anymore. Yeah. So the executive producer is really like the head honcho on a television show. So I mean, that's what's like tragic about what you're saying is that like he basically. You know, it's not like we'll give you like an associate credit, associate producer credit where it's like you're kind of, a, you know, we're giving you a credit, but you really have a say. They're saying like you're going to be the executive, one of the executive producers of the show, meaning that like you're going to be one of the people in charge of this whole entire thing. And then they fucking staff on the back. Yeah. Over and it. then it, and it, and it, it gets so I'll, we'll have to put a link into the to the to the on our site for the cast an interview he does, you know, before the show wrapped up with his wife there. And he's just like. By like episode sixteen, seventeen, he's just like had it. He just can't wait to end it. And um, I think a, a really weird unknown fact is David Chase is involved. People know nowadays David Chase from The Sopranos. He's the yeah. creator of The Sopranos. He was involved in the show. Robert Zemeckis, like the first thing Robert Zemeckis wrote was one of these episodes. And I mean, you can, I mean, for the most part, a lot of people can judge the series and say the series was, okay, you know, you know, it's 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 got a lot of problems say with the monster of the week or sure. the guy and it's, it's a, but it's it's a, a fun guy. show but i mean as much as we've just said about darren mcgavin you know the problems he had when the camera went on he gave it his all oh he's great in the show. you know he never Absolutely. he never no matter how bad if it's and we're, we're making it sound a lot horrible than it is it's i mean this ain't like freaking ed wood territory yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean we're just know, saying that he was not pleased with it we're not saying we're not pleased. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> or that it's not good. It's just it wasn't a direction that he thought it should go into. And so he was not happy playing the part. And I think he was right, ultimately. And that's the reason why. And then they, they were messing around with it. Like, they you know, they didn't give it a dedicated hour. They put it up against sports events. They put it, like, on a Friday night at, like, yeah. 9 o'clock. No one's home on it. That's notorious. Friday night, like, 9 o'clock. No one's going to be home for that, that the hour. Until the 90s, man. TGIF. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Until, until Full House and Perfect until Strangers came out. And Belvedere. It's family matters. You know? Uh, so all these problems, but he still gave it his all. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad that it goes out like that. And then I think it's a testament directly to probably Darren McAvin himself, that that's why the show has latched on to people and has been so memorable because he's such a memorable character. He does it so well. His relationship with the other, the only other person that shows up within the show, uh, Tony Vincenzo, Simon Oakland shows up in the Night Strangler. Like it's like the running gag is they kicked him out as the editor from the paper two, so he goes with Kolchak to Seattle, and then they find like I think it's it's not a vampire, but it's someone who's like found the key to eternal life by like drinking blood or taking blood. So then he finds this other plot, and Tony Vincenzo's like, Oh my God, what are you <laughs> not again? <laughs> not again. And then like at the end, they railroad him out of town there at the second movie, and then when the series goes, like you said. It takes place in Chicago. They're head of what is it? The I, I, I think INS maybe? INS newspaper. That's what that sticks out of my head. And Carl then Kolchak, INS. Uh, I could be wrong though. Simon Oakland is the, is the is the is the person there, and then they have these other hilarious other characters that work, like the the old lady who does like the freaking word puzzles. There, she's hilarious, and yeah, yeah. I forget her name, but there's a lot of interplay. You know, if we if we would do a, a podcast on this series, it'd be very funny. But and then also the phenomenal score by uh, um, I think his name is. Uh, 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 what the hell, the darn guy's name? Gil Gil Tournay, I think it is, or or, or who who? Um, sorry, Gil uh, Malay, who did? He was a jazz. He was an artist, and he was a jazz um, uh, performer as well. That did the the the, uh, 
this the theme for Kolchak and Ice Soccer, which I find is the great. Show, yeah. The show itself, yeah. not to be confused. With, we're talking about the movie here. I think it's a great theme, and it's just sad that that's the kind of the life it had. And then you cut to uh, X Files. It's yeah. like it's like season five. Chris Carter's like Darren McAvin. We want you to come on the show. Yeah, I mean, and Darren like, McAvin. And here's this is the thing. I didn't even the, I didn't even really realize that when we decided that we were going to do this for the X Files, there's a direct connection. that it was like directly. Oh yeah, you know, I I knew. From, from I was doing, just like, for me, it was like, it was, it's, you know, like, for me, I could see the connection. And that's why I was like, we should, you know, when we were discussing what we should do, we both kind of latched onto this as an idea. Because yeah, we've been, t- more, I think our original idea was because we wanted to do a TV movie. Yeah. Because you know? we've done TV movies in the past. And they've been all kind of superhero-ish. And we and wanted to we like. Wanted, we wanted to get back to doing another television yeah, movie. Yeah. So that was Television the, movie is a very big part of the sleepovers. Of me, course. Of course. I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, and a lot of stuff we've talked about, like, look, we've already done like two or three already on the cast and the podcast. And, but I kind of went through a resurgence with. The Night Stalker in like 2000, right around the series got re, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. greenlit. And I never, and I was like, got excited. And I was like, then I got, I was like, no, what are they doing? And then I, like I said, I have it, but I never watched it. So then I got the Colchek Companion. I was reading up on it and it's just sad. So cut to like, I think it's like season five of the X-Files. Chris Carter's like, Darren McGavin, we want you to come on the show. He's like, sure. And for myself and maybe fans out there, the greatest mystery of all fucking time is that Chris Carter goes, Darren McGavin, wait for it. We want you to play Carl Kolchak. And Darren McAvins says, no. I will not play Carl Kolchak. I want to know why. Instead, they have to rejigger the plot, and they turn him into, uh, I I don't know the character's name, but he becomes the father of the X-Files. Yeah, yeah. He plays uh, Arthur Arthur Dales, the father of the X-Files. He he becomes like So he's basically like the guy that started the X-Files, that David Duchovny's character, that Fox Mulder eventually kind of took over. Which is basically Gar Kolchak. But to this day, I want to know why. Darren McAvin, why did you not... That could have been a perfect... I mean, at that time, he did like a a favorite of ours, Dead Heat in 87. He did a couple other things. Of course, Christmas Story wasn't nearly as big in the mid-90s as it is now. So, I mean, you know, he had these things under his belt. He had in this. I mean, he was still working. He, yeah. He's in, uh, like, the, I think he's in The Natural. He's a, yeah, and then something happened where they were, there's there's a weird story there where, like, they were, they were uh, he was on set. They liked him so much, they wanted to keep going, and then he's like, I'll help it. And then all of a sudden, because he was, he was in additional scenes, there was some sort of SAG disagreement where they're like, you know, you're going to have to re- rejigger his contract because he's not supposed to be doing this. So he said, listen, you know, I'll forego any billing within the movie if you just let me do this because he was having such a good time. So he yeah, took his yeah. name off the movie so that he can be a bigger part in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. He, he had the, you know, and certainly older audiences knew him. Like he did like uh, in the 50s also, he did, he was uh, uh, Mickey Spillane who has Mike Hammer, the, 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 the hard-boiled detective in the 50s, he played that. So like he was known to people and he comes back and this is almost his swan song because X-Files, is, I mean, season five, X-Files was huge yeah. in the David Duchovny years. And it's like he says, no, I don't want to play Carl Kolchak. Yeah, it's just obviously I just had bad feelings. You know, I mean, he could have whole... came back and played Carl Kolchak, got the seersucker suit, the Brooks Brothers shirt, oh, the tennis shirt. awesome that would have been. You know, and it's like, but I don't know if at that time he thought it was be- not below him, but it was like, no, I've already done it. And uh, yeah, it had such a sour. Maybe they felt like, it, I don't know, who knows. I, you know, I, I mean, and, and I think we would have known if it was the a copyright issue like Chris Carter would have said no you know for some reason we couldn't like, secure yeah. the rights that would have came out but for some reason McGavin was like no I don't want to do it I'll, I'll, I'll I mean he agreed to do the show yeah. but he says I'll do you know I, I think it even was he was going to be in a, a bigger part of the show than he ended up being because he was in poor health at the time yeah. so they ended up having to like rewrite 
maybe I'm getting two stories confused, but he had to like they had to rejigger some scripts and put some other people in, whatever. And then you know he ended up passing away. I think in like 2000, uh, 2006. He was age 83. He was born in 1922, and it's just like I don't know. It's just sad. I think that like he could have really came back. His swan song could have been that episode of the X Files. X Files is a huge show, and people could have been like, you know, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, it would have drawn a lot of because at point at that point nobody was. Thinking about the no, I mean I remember at that time like Kolchak was showing up like on A and E because I remember I had memories of like I was like what the fuck is this weird shit where there's a guy like in a white you know uh, (laughs) freaking uh, you know seersucker suit in a in a sewer and he's fighting like a like a there's like a a swamp thing monster and I remember I was like and that was my only memory of the of Kolchak until maybe the early I forgot why the early two thousands maybe well the this the, the these movies got released on DVD and. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was a very big Kolchak fan. Yeah. That's how I kind of got it and, into it. And then you got into it around the same time, but like unlinked. Like yeah, we that's both, the weirdest we thing. We both kind of got into it at the same time, but not together. Yeah. And you had told me that, that they were into it too. I was like, that's amazing. I didn't know anybody would remember this show. And you were like, yeah, they love it too. And I was like, that's great. I was like, that's fuck yeah you yeah, know and it's and just it like came out on dvd and then once the and then netflix streaming it was on when netflix yeah, started, and then, started streaming it was on there for, and then and then like for a while i i have i have a unique story where it's like you know my wife at the time never knew who darren mcgavin was hadn't seen christmas story because she's from england because christmas story isn't big over there so i'm like hey you know you like horror let's try this this series that's streaming on netflix i only watched one episode i really dug it we watched it she fell in love with it we watched the entire series and then afterward only then did she see christmas story yeah so it's like she had the proper <laughs> yeah, learnage yeah. of she saw darren mcgavin in his prime and then she saw so it's not like she didn't have like this is the guy from the christmas story yeah, it was like yeah. oh it's this guy and then she saw him in a christmas story like you know and then you know growing up i think aside from christmas story dead heat like again it, he, he's, yeah, he's yeah. a big role him and vincent price are in dead heat so it's like it's just you know yeah that came out I have the box set and there's not really that many extras I mean even like on the double disc we have the two disc movies it's just like there's an interview with Dan Curtis the producer who since passed away yeah. you know about it's been released again the two movies with a different cover yeah I think MGM or, or is it you know, I forget who it is who owns the movies it's, MGM just, it's a whatever. cool cover yeah the new cover you know and and you know and then also which which is also cool I'll have to put a link into this too is that I have in in the the, the Author who wrote the Kolchak, uh, the Night Soccer Companion, Jeff Rice gave his blessing. He's the first person to write a new Kolchak novel. Yeah, since Jeff Rice in the, in the mid '90s or late '90s, and then it spawned a comic book series. And yeah. I think the unproduced, maybe Richard Matheson script that was going to be the third movie, that became part of the comic book. And I think some other written but unproduced episodes because it was canceled, they became plots of the comic book too, which yeah, I think is yeah. really cool. And I have, uh, in, in, in the, we have the, in the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers archive vault, <laughs> yeah. we have an original page yeah, yeah. from, the, from the, uh, the, the, one of the issues. So it's like, it's, like the, it's like a splash page and it's McGavin. Yeah. And we wanted to get it because, you know, they, it's really cool. The comic book really tried to model the, the you know, Kolchak off of McGavin, and it's a great sure. picture of Mag- of it looking like McGavin. So I'll I have to put a link have, into that. Uh, a painted original cover art for one of the for one of the novels. Yeah, 
which is you know be- actually a beautiful rendering of of McGavin as Kolchak with some crazy fucking tentacles behind. Him. Uh, we, so we we'll, we'll put, yeah, put so a link we'll, to that one so too. So we'll put we'll put links to. We are we got. I don't know. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but we have a pretty sweet archive. Yeah, the Saturday <laughs> Movie Sleepovers podcast archive has some pretty we cool got the Gremlin stuff. head. Yeah, the, we the, got some of this this on uh, the Gavin art, the, 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 the Plug stuff art, from uh, the, the thing, the storyboard original storyboards from the thing. So. Go check our website out, saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com. Go check Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. If you Google Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, you'll find us. <laughs> but go check out. It's a plug for the site because a lot of people either listen to the cast or on the Facebook page. They don't really go check the site out because yeah, they get the cast. You know, you get it through iTunes or Stitcher, which were available there too. But if you want to go to the actual site, Dion does a beautiful write-up of the podcast. Yeah. And then we always have links to either. Uh, I have dyslexia, so it can be a little repetitive sometimes. <laughs> It's like you said what four times. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we like to put little little Easter eggs over there. Yeah. Uh, I guess a lot of last-minute tidbits. There's like a, the filming of the movie went, went fine. They said the only headache or real scare, which really appears on film, is uh, when the vampire breaks out of the hospital after he's still in the blood. He jumps down, and two bike cops are coming at him. Oh, yeah, and they yeah. ditch their bikes. One of the stuntmen lost control of the bike. And the bike comes careening at a stuntman who's playing, I think, the vampire. And he jumps up to get onto the roof of the car. But at the same time, the bike careens into a pole that's cemented in the ground. And that knocks the bike out of the way. And if that didn't happen, he's like, I would have been killed, yeah, you know, yeah. but they kept that in. And that, like, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa, I was like, that's really yeah, yeah. dangerous. And it's funny because all the cops are like trying to shoot the vampire. Yeah. And like the way it's set up, it looks like, you know, watching it this time, it looked like one of the cops like shot the other cop off the motorcycle, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, that very well could have Friendly been. Friendly fire. Yeah, oh no, he did it. They just blamed the vampire. And there's so many cool things. Like it's, it's so funny. The movie, like, you know, they, there's like six people and he's jumping in the pool. He's throwing them around. He stares at him to get away. And then they like, they all unload a clip into him and they're like, how are you going to explain that away? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Colchick's like, the, and they got like the squibs going on him too. Yeah. You know? And it's like, he's getting hit. You know, they're not just missing. Him. And I think it's a great characterization that the, the guy at water, Barry Atwater, the actor who like, they just, you know, like we said, they didn't cast like a pretty boy. Yeah. They gave him like blood red contacts, you know, he's, uh, creepy he's really creepy. But then with that, with that Mo Howard haircut he had, <laughs> You know, he's, he's rocking the Mo, rocking the Mo Howard. And, I, and then <laughs> it looks really bad until the end when there's that scene when Kolchak's got him on the stairs and they've opened the windows in his house and they're about to stake him. It, he looks his age. He looks like he's an old man. He's like, ah! And for a second, I thought maybe that is a wig. Maybe he's that old. He's like yeah, a bald yeah. Nos- Nosferatu looking motherfucker. Yeah, he's be. hiding himself out, you know. So um, I don't know. Is that it? Yeah. So it, it, it became the sensation. And it's just crazy to think in our, you know, the world that we live in now that we have like thousands of channels and. I kind of have a, an, a like you know like a, a, a hypothesis that like people are kind of stupider now because people can delve in whatever their tickles their fancy. So like if they're only into one thing, they can were in the old days like this. You're kind of forced to you're forced yeah. to watch the news. You're you kind of forced so to so many options. Yeah, you know, you, there's freaking three major networks, and then there's like you know two or three other channels. That, you know, so you kind of you have to watch what's on there. So it's like a captive audience, but that doesn't take away as to this movie like how well it did too because people could have just turned the TV off and yeah. went and read a book or music you know yeah yeah it's really good um, yeah it holds up well I mean the music you know the characterizations uh, you know I'm, it, you know obviously uh, you and I have an affinity for Kolchak from the show and stuff and so this was kind of like right up our alley and uh, you know I, who knows I don't know how many people out there that listen to us 
know the show very well, but it's totally worth checking out, especially if you're into things like, uh, you know, horror and or like the X-Files. Certainly, kind of yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, you know, obviously, clearly, I'm not going to pretend like shit's not dated. But yeah. that doesn't mean. I mean, they're not, in the 70s. But that doesn't yeah. mean it's not awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, it just adds like it just adds like love and character to it. I think, yeah, you know, yeah. Just, it's, just, it's I just, mean, and you know, like he's just so good in it. Yeah, he's, he's not pompous. He like you know, the, the, he talks about like the the, uh, the characterization, the difference between the two characters. Like you know, he talks about um the difference between the written character and then McGavin, his portrayal. Like you know. Uh, Rice, the author's character, was paunchy, foul mouth. He wore chinos and a bush jacket, and uh, you know he was like an ex prize fighter kind of look, and he boozed it up, and like you know, um, and he went to adult ed classes, you know, and smoked cigarettes. Where you know McGavin's character was aggressive, but he was less crude. He never swore, probably because of network restrictions. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did drink, uh, but like you know, he kept it. He's not like an asshole. You know, I mean, there is a scene which is really interesting with with Simon Oakland and. Um, Darren McGavin were like, you know, uh, Simon Oakland says to him, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's 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 only a uh, you know, it's only a byline. Who cares? And, you know, you're saying that in the byline and McGavin's like, well, so. And it's like it kind of does mean that like McGavin, the cold shack, the character, it's, um, you know, it, he doesn't care what the context is as long as it's the stories. You know, there's a, there's a they allude to there that like, you know, he is all about the story but he does like the sensationalism but then it gets beyond that it kind of transcends that with yeah. the story so it's, it's just an interesting character and just it's i don't think it's dated at all how he plays you know no no Jack. he's great like you, you know? said earlier like i can't imagine anybody else kind of playing him you know even now i was trying to think i was like you know if they if they did the movie you know how would if they did a what if yeah who would play <laughs> cold check now and you know what people out there why don't you email us or 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 twitter us facebook us you know let us know who you think would play an awesome Carl. You know, you don't. It doesn't have to be a ginger. You don't need like a freckled redhead guy <laughs> like the Aaron McGavin was. Well, here's the thing: you know? nobody would cast someone 49. I know, unless the problem, unless Depp, who's 52, but yeah. he fucking looks better than we do. <laughs> but aside from that, it'd you know, be but like, like, you know, like back then, you could have like Tully Savalas, you know, as the star of a TV show. You could have like Walter Matthau and the Palomo Two Three being like, you know the star in like the original dialogue yeah basically. yeah <laughs> you know he, he would have been john mcclain you know, <laughs> you know taking like, the tour of the japanese guys this is like the original speaking of diehard earlier i mean taking about pelman the three is the original diehard and he's the original john mcclain yeah but it's walter fucking mad though like you, you couldn't really nobody would do that and then, and then instead of like the, the you know you have this you know the snotty englishman you know alan rickman's character playing a german you have robert shaw <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. but so yeah, you're, it was a whole different era. So now it's like, yeah, who would it be? Would it be like freaking, I don't know who they put it like, you know, Denzel Washington, <laughs> you know, or, or would they go that route or would they go like, maybe they, you know, they probably cast it as a female, you know, it'd be like some, you know, it'd be like freaking, what's her name? You know, I don't know, like Emily Blunt or somebody. Yeah. I can't you know? think of anybody. I don't know. It's getting late. It is getting late. Sun's coming up. I hear my parents where they're walking upstairs. They're freaking around. <laughs> Uh, what would you give it? Oh, I, uh, this, like four? Yeah. Four out of five buckets of pizza? Yeah, I do probably four, 4.5. It's classic. It's songs. good, man. It's, it's clutch, too. You gotta it's solid. see it. It's so solid. You know, you gotta go see this. You gotta see the sequel. Who had, Also, Al Lewis shows up in the sequel. Everyone, you know, Munster's Grandpa fan. Grandpa Lewis. Grandpa Lewis or uh, Car 54, where are you? He's on that, too. 
and he was on Howard Stern. Wasn't he Howard Stern regular? He was right, yeah. Grandpa you know, Lewis God Lewis. bless him. And I think he might even show up to the search for One-Eyed Jimmy. Is he in the search for One-Eyed Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I thought about that. You know, movie. but he, but he, he, he shows Classic. Up, you know, I know. Yeah, well, we should do that movie. No, I don't point. even know if I could, I could get through that again, <laughs> which is so weird. That's the, like the a dated Tuturo. movie. Yeah. Um, and everybody, Samuel Jackson shows up on that movie. He's There's the a bum, lot of people you know, fishing. There's everybody. Uh, John Turturro's Disco Stew, like <laughs> pre-Disco Stew in The Simpsons, you know. Joe Head. Joe Head, yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> that yeah. Oh, wow, it's so freaking. Anyway. How we... <laughs> What a weird fucking yeah. segue that was. Uh, um, so, yeah, solid uh, recommendations. Oh, jeez. I think, you know, I think Duel is a good recommendation. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, what I thought of initially, uh, staying in the paranormal horror TV movie thing, I went with the 1973 original TV movie of uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, wow. which was remade a couple of years ago with a script written by Guillermo del Toro. Um, but the original TV movie uh, stars Kim Darby and Jim Hutton, who's Timothy Hutton's dad. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking really cool, man. It's like, it's, of course, it's so dated. It's 1973, and it's a TV movie, and it's shoestring budget, all that shit. What's it called? Are You Afraid Don't, of the Dark? I think it's called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Think of the Nickelodeon show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Midnight Society. Um, but it is... Uh, it's genuinely creepy and it's a lot of fun because of it's like because of it being in like the 70s um so staying with like uh, if you're going with like an early 70s uh you know sleepover <laughs> i would say duel's a good one this one don't be afraid of dark and night strangler fucking uh and i mean night stalker class of course you could just recommend night strangler because you know you could go with the sequel well see that was my original tension tension my original intention was i was going to recommend the series or the movie but then i thought maybe that's a cop-out i mean the series is like tom scarrett shows up there's a lot of great cameos by people i'm the freaking member uh uh, uh, Eric Estrada shows up in an episode. Remember the 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 the, uh, the Native American or Aztec episode? He's in that pre-chips. You know, so there's a lot of great uh, uh, people in it. But I was thinking, okay, if I got to do a, a bona fide recommendation, I think I too will stay in the supernatural realm. I too will also stay within the TV movie realm. Uh-huh. And I'm gonna do the I don't know the date. It's early '70s. The pilot for Night Gallery. Okay. Um, the, the, again, TV movie, they did an hour and a half pilot to Night Gallery, and uh, it's, I think, two, there's about at least three or four vignettes in it, uh, and it's basically just like your Twilight Zone setup where, you know, Rod Serling's, um, you know. 69, maybe? Yeah, it could be 69, yeah. And uh, Rod Serling gives you the open, and these are straight horror as opposed to the Twilight Zone dealt with in fantasy or sometimes horror, sometimes supernatural. Night Gallery, for the most part, was straight up horror, and... Uh, some of them were hit or miss. The majority of them are very good. There's a very classic Vincent Price episode, which is like I think one of the best you know uh, Vincent Price things of all time. But this particular episode, the pilot, very famous for people out there, and a lot of people know it. It's like the the first story stars um uh what's his name from um uh <laughs> this is how our minds are getting shot. Um, yeah, that's late, man. I know. Uh, uh, who was in Black Hole? He played uh, the robot English Englishman. Uh, he was he, in all the Planet of the Apes movies. He played oh, Roddy McDowell. Thank you very much. Roddy McDowell stars as the snotty uh, rich kid who killed. He killed, I think, his relative by leaving the the window open. The relative dies of like the flu because he left the window open on purpose so he can get gifted the house. And um, 
he also made the, he made the, uh, he made the guy go crazy because he was changing the painting on the wall and his name's Portavoy and it, it, oh, the, 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 he has an African American servant who might be played by it might be Ossie Davis I might be wrong in it I forget who, who plays the, the, the African American servant but anyway the whole pinnacle of the thing is on the staircase going up is that there's this painting and he's changing the painting to drive the people insane he might it, yeah, he might. I, I see. I've seen so much. I've seen it. But he might. He ki- he might kill his relative by changing the paint. By, by changing the painting, so it looks like someone's coming up from the dead. Uh-huh. And then you know, I, I don't want to give it away. But then shit starts happening. And he ain't fucking changing the painting. And it's one of the freakiest fucking things ever because it's like he's looking at the painting and you see the guy coming up out of the ground. The painting's changing every time he looks at it, but you don't see it change. It's yeah, just like yeah. he looks down, looks up. The painting's different. And then you hear it outside. It's real fucking freaky, and then it's like, oh my god! So, you got to check it out. The uh, uh, Night Gallery, the the the, the TV movie pilot, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Night Galleries are great. Oh, some of them are freaking amazing. Some of them uh, not so good. I mean, some of them are really wacky. You know, is there any show though where every show, where every episode knocks it out of the park? That's true. That's true. It's a tough one, especially on those like kind of like the uh, episodic kind of anthology yeah it's hard yeah it's it's hard to to keep the bar really high yeah each episode every week you gotta be like completely original with every episode but at the same time stay within the same vein it's it's a tough and it was you know not to digress but it's something then rod sterling had to ride in his back because people started giving him shit like why isn't every episode of night gallery great he's like i don't write it you know man this is why you gotta give me (laughs) because he was the you know since he's the front the poster child of it they they kind of gave him the shit he's like you know I ain't getting residuals for Twilight Zone, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the hell? Yeah, this is 1960s. Yeah, the fucking just, you know, residual deals suck. Yeah, I ain't doing nothing. They ain't giving me nothing for Planet of the Apes either, <laughs> fool. So, all right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, sausage Curtain. Yeah. <laughs> the great Star Trek episode. <laughs> Classic called Star Trek called the, episode. Called the Sausage Curtain. <laughs> oh, Jesus. We're, we are delirious. <laughs> Oh, well, really, I'm sorry. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> the Savage Curtain. This, I don't know if we can even edit it. It's a great episode. You know the Savage Curtain? Yeah, man. Yeah, they, they, he played a Vulcan philosopher, Surik, in 1969 in this, <laughs> this Sausage Curtain. Oh, uh, well, on that note, let's just end it. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, Facebook. Uh, We're having a good time over on Facebook. Yeah. We're trying to get the word out in the street to people on Facebook that, that not only is this, we have a Facebook <laughs> page, but we also have a podcast that we do, too. Yeah. It's so shocking that there's a lot of people <laughs> on the Facebook page. That love that, us. That like the po- Facebook page don't even know we do a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Saturday sleepovers.podwits.com it's a website please You'll check get to the see website our, our original Night Stalker art yeah and um, uh, all the other goodies we have from other podcasts we have a lot of other stuff uh, extras that we you know put in for each cast um, check I, us out uh, big news for me I just handed in the manuscript for my first book yeah it's going to be tentatively it's right now it's called Scored to Death I Look think it'll that. probably stay at that but I started a Facebook page for that saw that yeah so that I can give uh, updates and we can have the Discussion about horror film music, which is the topic of the book. So yeah. stay tuned for updates on that. Go check the Facebook page out. Come fa- check out a Facebook page, you know, trying to trying to get all that started, get people excited. That's very I'm excited. I'm excited. That's very interesting. Who isn't excited? <laughs> I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited, too. Yeah, check us out. Uh, t- 
Twitter. Uh, we said Facebook. We're on uh, all kinds of iTunes. iTunes. iTunes is the one people are always like, are you on iTunes? I was like, yeah, we're on iTunes. Of course yeah. we're on iTunes. Especially like you've been to the lead page. On the right of the page are links to all the other places please you check can. it out. Yeah, please tell a friend. Please, you can you can email us. You can you can Stitcher us. is another popular place to hear. We we hear, we're there. Yeah, uh, Stitcher, uh, Player FM. We're yeah. on a bunch of stuff. Or you so can just download it right from our site by doing the old right clicky. Yeah, or you can even just stream Save. it right from our site. Hit play. Hit hit play on that mother, and we're, we're going. Spread the word. Will yeah. you please, people? I mean, I love you, but. <laughs> But he's getting a little mad. He's a little long. He needs some coffee. He's getting a little punch drunk. Get a little cranky. Sit, sit down. Sit down. But come on. Let's the word. Get the word. We're having a good time over here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're, I we're, want everybody we're, to have a good time with us. <laughs> yeah, with our sausage curtain. <laughs> got the sausage curtain. We got requests coming yeah. in. So it's, Which it's a good time. Which we might be doing some requests soon. Yeah. We're in talks. We've got a lot going on. So well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. And uh, remember that 1969 <laughs> episode of Star Trek. Classic. Yeah. Later. Later.